Okay. Who are we talking to again? <laughs> recording in progress. Manly voice. I'm leaving. I didn't know we were recording this. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> it's like, yeah, you all do kind of agree. It's like, yeah. I can play the non-friend. Planning. Does this, same does boat, this room look like there's a plan? <laughs> yeah, these, it's the same thing. Does it look like I planned anything behind me? <laughs> 31. <laughs> y'all do that. Do y'all know that trick? A lot of people yep. don't know the trick. You yep. count your knuckles. It actually works. I mean, I, I was going to say, I have this cool little black book here that I write things down in. And like, here's the page for my, my MiG-29. So anal. Actually, can I, can I jump in real quick? Because I have to say something no. kind of funny. Too bad. I'm doing it anyways. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. Sorry to cut you off. Oh, is it? Do I need to say something now? Is, that, was that, is everyone staring at me? Aluminium. Oh wow! Stop. You know what? I'm glad that I got to be here for this the Shropshire thing. I really. Am. I mean, I'm, I can't say it. I don't know. I've never been able to say that word. Say it like that. Sorry. Aluminium. Time to wrap it up. I guess. I guess we do. Yeah. folks and welcome to the plastic posse podcast we're excited to have you and we're excited for another day of discussing our favorite hobby and that is plastic models um i'm joined today by scott from here in utah we've got grant out on the west coast we've got tj back in virginia justin where are you from I'm actually out in West Texas. I'm in Lowick, Texas. West, our friend uh, Justin Lentz from West Texas. And of course, Jensen is in the UK. How are you all doing today, guys? Doing pretty Sublime. well. I'm doing well. Yeah. I just I just got home from breakfast with uh, Pat Brown. We went to uh, delicious um, Buford's Biscuits in uh, Leesburg. I got a nice, big, huge biscuit with uh, spicy chicken and pimento on it. It was delicious. Uh, Pat's Pat's good people. Yeah, Pat treated Pat treated my wife and I to breakfast. It was very very generous of him. He's a he's one of the good ones, that's for sure. Um, and before we get started, everybody uh want to share what's been on their bench, what they've been up to, other than a delicious breakfast. TJ, well, how about you start? Okay, um, I've been uh, relatively busy. Um, trying to remember. Yeah, man, I can't remember the last time I was I was able to sit in on an episode and what I was working on. I think I was I was working on a, a Machine Krieger Falk is the last time. That is is kind of marinating in the background. Um, trying to figure out the direction I really want to go with it. Um, I started working on the new uh, Fireball SG, also Machine Krieger kit, one of the spacesuits. Um, that's painted. It's uh, purple. It's very purple. And um, I tried some different stuff on that. Um, I ran into some decal issues that kind of didn't kill the build for me, but I'm I have to fix silver decals, which I hate, and um, I pride myself in usually catching decals that are going to be a problem before and and i missed a few and of course one's right on the front so i gotta fix that i'll just fix it with paint but i'm just kind of letting it also letting it marinate uh and then the other day i got home from work i had a crappy day at work and um i was like you know i'm gonna sell some kits 
I think. So I went and started going through my kits and I pulled a whole bunch out and came across my stack of Bandai. I'm no, sorry, not Bandai. I have those too. Fine mold Star Wars kits. And um, I was like, oh, okay. And I was kind of looking through one and um, I opened the box of the Y-Wing and lo and behold was a almost completely assembled Y-Wing, which I had no memory of building of uh, probably 10 years ago when I bought the kit. It may be, yeah, around there. Um, I had to finish building the cockpit, the the nose. That was it. It was all, That was almost all put together too. And I had to put the struts on the nacelles on. That was it. So I did that and then I painted it. And that's what I've been working on these last couple of days. And probably when we're done with this, since my daughter had her volleyball game canceled, I will continue painting on that. I painted it in a weird um, scheme. If anyone ever played the X-Wing Miniatures tabletop game, there was a faction called Scum and Villainy. They were the bounty hunters and criminals, the Star Wars universe, and they had their own ships. And one of the ships was a Y-Wing uh, that you could fly. And it was the little pre There were little tiny one 270 scale ships on pegs. That's how you played the game. They came pre-painted in the package. And one of the paint schemes was the one that I used on mine. It's like a off-white and deep burgundy black on it. It's cool. So it's pretty neat. And I know I was telling you guys before, and, and it's a potentially controversial opinion, but the Fine Molds Y-Wing is better than the Bandai Y-Wing for numerous reasons. And uh, you can fight me on that and you will not change my mind. It's an amazing kit. I wish I had another one, but I don't. So understand that. That's why a lot of us are hoarding the Bandai kits, because as long as we can get them, we're going to we're going to get a hold of them and keep them. Grant, what have you been up to? Uh, not too much, actually. Um, I'm in a little bit of an issue with like Craig Flynn is in Australia is uh, I, I found out they were remodeling my den at the last minute uh, as they were pulling everything out of it when I came home from work. So I lost my den for a week and a half, so I don't really have a hobby room. I did uh, work on a Bandai, speaking of Bandai, A-Wing um, with some friends. They were doing a group build, and I jumped in on with them. Straight up old school, worked on a TV tray in the living room, put it together, um, painted it with rattle cans. So now the, the den's supposed to be done this today or tomorrow, hopefully to today, and I can get some weathering done on it and get the airbrush going again. And But other than that, I've been uh, uh, working hard having fun listening to all the different podcasts and uh, basically just taking a little bit of a break. Uh, you don't know how much you miss a hobby until you can't do it. Trust me. I, I found that out for sure, but that's about it. Well, great. I hope they finish that real soon because everybody knows what it's like to lose access to something that they love in their modeling. Jensen, what's happening out, out your way? <laughs> uh, nah, nah, not an awful lot. Like I am, I'm, very slowly picking and poking away at this Border Models uh, 190. It's it's a kit I want to love a lot more than I do. It, don't get me wrong, it's really good. Its details are really nice. Its fit isn't awful. It's I'd say it's a solid like 7 out of 10 kit. Um, I finished all the cockpit. I got all that painted, weathered, and that's all installed. Fuselage is together. Wings are together. Rudder, tailplanes, all that. It's, it's The main meat of the aircraft is now together. All seams have been checked, sanded, rescribed, and re-riveted. It's nice. It's just, I like that Border go to the effort and give you, it's like, okay, we're going to give you the, the option to have all the gun bays open, the engine compartment. Like, if you can open it, you can see it. We'll give you that option. But obviously, in doing that creates kind of issues where it's like, okay, this needs to go together perfect from the start for it all to finish. Should you want to choose to have all these doors shut 
having test fit the engine and gun bays and all that stuff, it's just, it's, it's kind of a, a weird in between now because I've tried to fit all the doors closed because I was thinking I'm just not going to bother with any of that and there are gaps. So it's like, okay, I'll show the engine off and it's like, okay, but if I want to do that, there's a lot of details missing. Then I'm going to have to now add into that area, like a lot of, lot of wiring. Uh, there's a lot of like stuff I'm going to have to create with plastic card and like boxes and all that. It's just going to take a lot of effort. Uh, I'm going to 3D print some like, uh, I bought them a while back, like plumbing connectors and little conduit connectors, tons of different little fasteners and so, such. So I've got all them. That's really cool. I can do that. And I've got lots of lead wire and copper wire. So scratch building, doing all that stuff isn't a problem. It's just added a lot to the build if I'm going to show all that off. The engine in the kit is gorgeous. And I, I mean, it's it's really, really nice. Again, all the, all the rivets are gorgeous. It's just a really nice model, but I'm just not loving it as much as I wish I did. So I'm just really slowly picking and poking at it. Um, it probably hasn't helped that nearly every night this week when it's been kind of quiet in the evenings i've just been putting all of night shifts videos on like from these very very first ones and just going through all the series and it's just like hmm i really want to build some armor now i want to do a vignette and i'm just like should i just put this to one side and do a project that i actually kind of really want to do but i know that's just going to add to that ever-growing pile of stuff i've started and it's been shelved and it's another thing that's not been finished so i don't know i'm in a bit of a gray zone at the minute of not knowing not knowing what to do well, a 190 is almost a piece of armor, right? Uh, it, that could be said. It is kind of a flying tank. And it's it's in that nice, perfect 35th scale. So I could do a vignette with that as well. Who knows? Who knows? We'll get there in the end. I just, as soon as the aircraft's like in primer and I can start painting it, that's when I kind of, I'm in my zone. And aircraft, I absolutely love painting aircraft. So I, I know when I get to that stage, I'll be happy. You think it's just scope of the project more than anything, more than you, because it doesn't sound like you dislike the kid. It just sounds like it's a lot. Yeah, it's Zukimor-esque. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, we've noticed that with border models. They did it with the 109 and they did, probably did it with Stuka. And the new Kate that's coming out with all the oil canning skin, it's going to be gorgeous and I'm going to buy that day one. But I also worry, it's like, okay, you've added a lot. How does that complicate the building anyway? Like, is it going to be a compromise of, okay, we give you a gorgeous looking kit, but you're going to suffer in the building process. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, really like the work you've done, though. That cockpit is gorgeous. Thank you. Um, sorry, I'm going on quite a bit. Cockpit I'm really proud of because I really wanted to push the contrast on that. So it's like I went through the different levels of MRP. Like, I used MRP. I love that for aircraft. MRP, the cockpit, I really pushed like how much lighter I went with it and fading it. Um, I used a black wash to really like that contrast is strong. I, I chipped through to uh, AK metallic paint. So it's like, it's just really obvious on aircraft. I really like contrast. So that's what I'm going to try and go with. I don't want to say Spanish school. It sounds really, for some reason to me, that sounds patronizing. I don't know why, but I want to go for that high contrast level of model uh, weathering and paint effects on this model. Awesome. All right, Scott, your turn. What's, what's on your bench? So what's actually on my bench uh, still is a couple things I've been working on. My Viper, uh, which I've got a couple more parts primed and uh, waiting to be sanded. I got to get a new can that Krylon body filler primer that I've been using to kind of make sure that the finish of the parts is really smooth. Uh, the rattle can, the nozzle kind of died on me. So I got to get a, another can of that. But um, I've also been working on a buddy build with Josh Buck, one of those um, DOS work uh, 155 uh, howitzers, the 1918. I already kind of showed the guys this, but this week my uh, AMT studio series uh, TIE Fighter came in 132nd scale. That's really great, really exciting. 
And I also got in um, a book that we'll we'll talk about later in the show. I've been doing 3D printing. Um, been working on some parts for JB for a 3D printed tank. I'm going to send him. And I just did my last plate of parts for a 132nd scale Viper uh, Mark I for our good buddy Aaron Cook. Uh, which I'm going to be sending him. And then I got to get a, this week, I got to get a bunch of boxes out to Grant and to TJ. And I got a big long list of stuff I got to send out to people. So yeah, that's what I've been working on. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. You know, I think that's the first time I've ever heard really great, really exciting and AMT in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I'm still trying to figure out why it's a it's a it's like a cachet thing to put an AMT logo on a box, you know, because for decades, if I saw AMT on a box, I was like, move along. Nothing to see here. <laughs> All right, Justin, tell us a little bit about what you're working on. And and for those of our listeners that have not heard you with the geeks, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure, man. Well, first of all, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. You know, I I, I drive around and listen to y'all a lot when I'm at, when I'm at work and stuff. I, I work in the gas industry or natural gas distribution industry, so I'm out in the country a lot, and so I've got a lot of a lot of miles to to drive, and so it's it's always nice to to have the the multiple voices. Uh, that that that's been my only thing. Every once in a while, I tell somebody, I'm like, man, I love listening to Plastic Posse, but it's like there are so many voices sometimes that I'm like, hold on, I got to put a face to this. Hold on a second, who is that? Who's talking? But uh, anyway, I live, live out in West Texas. I've been building, um, been building models since I guess the early '90s or something like that. When I was a kid, I mean, I used to like. I had a buddy of mine who lived about three miles away, and we would we would walk back and forth to each other's houses and build old monogram kits together. You know, paint everything with rattle cans or or even like the old model master. But whenever we again, dude, cutting grass. That's how we do it. We cut grass and we go buy models, and so did that a lot. You know, um, then met. You know, I know you mentioned the geeks. Uh, met Scott Samo probably early nineties. And he was like, Hey man, let me show you how to really build a model. You know, I mean, I didn't know what a seam was. I didn't know what an airbrush was. <laughs> I just stuck them together and painted them. I didn't know anything about it. So he kind of set me on, set me on the path and, and, uh, I've been going ever since. So always been kind of a, an aircraft guy. I've tried armor so many times and man, they always stall out. I think I finished like two or three 70 second scale kits of armor, but I think I've probably got 10. One of these days I'm just going to ship, I'm, I'm going to get one of y'all's addresses and just ship you a whole bunch of armor kits that I'm just never going to get to. Um, Cause it's like Jensen was talking about, you got this growing pile of stuff and it's almost, it's, it's not depressing, but it, it'll stall you out. You know what I mean? You kind of look up there and like, yeah, I really should do that. I'm just going to go watch TV instead. That's what I would, that's what ends up happening to me a lot. But uh, anyway, I, so I've been kind of a 48 scale aircraft guy for a long time was really into props when it, whenever I first kind of started back, like after I got married, um, you know, I took, I probably took five or six years off before I got married. I was playing music a lot. And so was moving around a bunch. Um, I, I played drums since the late nineties and played in bands and toured and did some stuff. And so ended up just, you know, kind of just kind of walked away. I mean, I think a lot of people walk away from the hobby, you know, in their, their late teens, early twenties already for girls or work or military service or whatever. But mine was just kind of more music and, Anyway, whenever I kind of got back into it after I got married in 05, uh, I had like three colors. I had three Gunsy colors, which was like RLM. I think I had the 74, 75, 76. So that's all I built for a little while was Luftwaffe planes because that's all the freaking paint I had, you know. And so I cranked out a whole bunch of the the, uh, the older Tamiya 109E and the E4 and the E3. I think I built like seven or eight of those before I finally was like, you know, I should try something else. I guess, I don't know, probably probably about 20, 2010, 20, 
11, somewhere in there, I finally was like, you know what? I want to get good at this. And so, I don't know, I really kind of kind of started really kind of drilling down and kind of focusing on what I was doing. And, you know, of course, then Facebook came along and, and groups and just, I mean, Hyperscale was there before that, I think, you know, obviously before, maybe in like 2006 or 2007 when I could afford internet back then anyway. You know, again, as a musician, good luck, you know, unless you're, unless you're really making it, you know, we were, we were poor. You know, once I came across Hyperscale and just kind of learning, you know, learning how to actually use my airbrush and how to thin my paint and stuff like that, you know, late, like, I don't know, probably, yeah, 2011 or something, I just figured out, you know, hey, it's time to, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, let's be good at it. So I started building some different things, started building some jets. And that's kind of the things that I've I've been doing lately is I kind of got hooked on MiG-21s. That's another thing. Like, I don't just build one of something. I'll build like five or six of them. So MiG-21s, I've probably got three or four five in the case and i'm kind of working on another one right now this is not a very good shot of it but um i'm working on a uh, one of the chinese chinese license built i guess it was an early mig 21 that they've now modernized and um it's the i don't know how you say chengdu chengdu i I can't speak chinese um the j7 pg which the pakistanis fly and and so that's kind of my uh that's kind of what i'm doing right now man working on that going down lots and lots of rabbit holes because uh, you know trumpeter kits are always close but not quite and so i've been having to combine kits to get this one going um i've got you know five different pictures pulled up on on my laptop like looking say hey that antenna is not on here so and then, you know, how to scratch build some antennas and put some stuff here. I'm trying not to go down the rabbit hole because then it does eventually end up on the shelf instead of finished. But I'm pressing on, man. I'm pressing on. I'm curious as to your tendency to batch build something. I mean, is that is that something like, do you go and grab a bunch of kits with the intention of doing that? Or do you do one and then that leads to another, which leads to another? Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how it, how it seems like it happens. I, I'll pull, I'll build one and that, that's what it was. I built the Edward, um, the MiG-21 MF whenever it came out. And uh, like, that was actually kind of fun. I'll do another one. And so I got another one and then I did the BIS, so the BIS. And then after that, I ended up building a, a, the Trumpeter F-13. It's just, I, I don't know, you kind of get interested in, you know, the, the airframe. And I don't know, there's just so many cool schemes. That's the other thing. And that, that was the same thing with the 109 early on. There's just so many schemes and so many things you can do with them. And uh, I don't know, you kind of become comfortable with the kit too, you know, and it's just, it's like you, you start to figure out. I know I've sent, I've, I've sent TJ a few texts, like some little, some little hacks on the Edward kit that can make things, make, make your life a lot easier. You know, like there's some funky, there's some really funky uh, scene lines that you have to deal with. And there's some ways around it. I'm sure he would have figured it out eventually anyway, but I'm always like, Ooh, let me help. But uh, yeah, I think that's really it. You just kind of become comfortable. And again, it's just the schemes, man. That MiG-21 you're talking about, you're building now the Chinese version of an earlier version. That's that's quite interesting. Uh, where do you get your reference for that? Is it online? Do, do you use books or, you know, you're, you're bumming off the you mojo? Know, or? <laughs> I, I wish. Uh, the, the problem is that, like, I, I've reached out, and, and it may just be a language barrier thing, or it might, I mean, I don't know. But I've reached out to some guys in Pakistan, like, hey, I need some pictures of these things. And, I mean, there, there there's some on there, you know, like... Uh, what is it? Uh, Jetphotos, I guess. dot com, and then like airliners, stuff like that. You can find you can find some really cool uh, pictures, but it's never what you need. You know what right. I mean? It's like I need this picture, but yeah. can we please rotate it like ninety degrees so I can see what's going on under there? So yeah. it's just a lot. It, that's it's mainly internet. Like, cause this thing, 
there's just not a lot out there on it. it it's such a weird plane too because you've got so you've got chinese license built russian aircraft right mm-hmm. and then and then it's got like half chinese avionics and half it's got some nato stuff on it too and then you're then it's got like it's got aim aim nine sidewinders and it's also it also can shoot like french missiles and it's got a british it's got a british ejection seat it's just all this weird mishmash of stuff yeah that's what i'm saying it's it's a the aircraft's a hodgepodge of everything i mean i've seen them with harm Mm -hmm. missiles the harms have been on them i've seen them with the what the the rush or sorry the french anti-ship missiles um i've seen Mm. yeah it's crazy just so that's that's interesting subject yeah Cluster bombs, yeah. I, def- I yep. found a picture of one of these with, with some American cluster bombs on it. <laughs> I was like, "What the heck is going on?" I, I also I also think it's cool. They've got a lot of. They actually have. I, I think that these are probably. I think that they're phasing these out, and I think it's this year. I've had a kind of. You know, there are some. There are some groups that that there are a lot of like. I guess I think they're pilots. They're Pakistani mm-hmm. pilots, and it sounds like they are kind of phasing these out this year. But it's cool. There's a lot. There's a lot of females that fly these. Um, oh wow! There's a lot of women pilots that fly these. So wow. it's kind of cool seeing pictures, and you're like, wait. Oh, that's cool. It's just a, it's just a neat it's a neat airplane, and yeah. and and you just don't see them done very often. So, right. I was like, well, here we go, here we go. And I think I started this thing. It, it, here's my here's my confession. I started for like three years ago, and then I put it up, and then I take it down, I put it up, and take it down. So, I'm, I don't know if I'm I'm quite as bad as TJ with the ten year the ten year break in between starting and finishing, but it, it'll probably get there eventually. It'll probably get there eventually. If well, let me say this: If there's anybody out there, if there are any experts who are listening to this, can you please reach out to me and send me some pictures? Or if there's a book, I mean, because I've looked for books, you know, sometimes that is the, that's the only way you can find is you can find a really cool book that you know has all the pictures you need, but there's not one for this guy. It's just not. Well, I'm you, curious. Out, so we'll oh. see. We'll see what we can get for you. All right, thanks, Doug. I'm curious well, if you have. Um... A kit, I call it old reliable. A kit you can always fall back on if you need to. That's like, you just know. It's like, I know I'm not going to have problems with this. I love the kit. If you have one. Yeah, it's pro- it probably, honestly, is that Ultimia 109. The early, you know, I mean, I know that the Edward 109E is probably so much better in every way. But gosh, I mean, I know I know where all the issues are with the, with the Tamiya kit. Um, I think I still have three in the, you know, probably three in the closet that, that I'll just... Every once in a while, I'll just break one out, slap it together. And and the, the problem that I'm starting to run into is that all my decals for those are old. And so they're starting to get kind of shattery. You know, it's like, oh, no, I need to need to update these. And one of these days, I guess I'll probably retire that. And then I guess at that point, if I ever retired that, it probably would be the Edward MiG-21. It's just such a once you've built it a couple of times, it's just everything. Everything goes together. You know where all the pitfalls are. And there are some. There are a few that are just like, ooh, what the heck? But uh uh, and I know that TJ, you you were building one of those, or you still are, I guess. I'd, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what uh, what you have to say about it. It's uh, it's sitting in the box over here. Um, I keep the one uh, the ones I keep um uh, in rotation. I guess that's not really the right way to say it, but the ones I I would be happy to pick back up again. Um, I keep under my second desk in their box. I don't put them back on the shelf. I've got the fuselage closed up. I've worked on the seam, um, the seams, which there are, there aren't really many, which is nice, especially on the spine, because you get that whole spine piece that just slots right on. There's one, yeah, as you know, there's one on the bottom. Um, it is over a round panel, but I bought the, um, I sanded it and looked like crap. So I'm like, I don't really want to rescribe this. So I bought the photo etch panel. So I'm like, I'll just put a photo etch panel on it and it'll be none the wiser. But yeah, yeah, the, the, the one pitfall 
that leading edge seam where the the on the wings where it meets the the dumbest seam ever because it's like why would you do that it's in the most awkward spot that's the only thing i've really found so far and then and I know I talked to you about it, Justin, with, with the R version, it has a different belly piece, which I think John Bryan also ran into. You get a pretty decent gap between the back of, you know, cause it, if, if no one's ever built one, it's kind of hard to describe. But if you know, if you've built one, you know, the piece I'm talking about, it has the holes for the wheel wells and it mates to the, the top after you put the, the top section on. There's like a, the half. The belly of the fuselage where it meets the back of the fuselage where the engine is, there's a pretty significant gap. I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to fill that. I'll find a way because, uh, like you, Justin, I, I gotta love the MiG 21. It's such a cool, it's such a cool airframe. It, it ticks all of my boxes. It's, it's long, it's skinny, it's got stubby wings and it's cold war. That's like all my favorite things. I, I don't know what it is about those cold war designs that just sing to me, but it, it's the best one. Then the F-104 Starfighter also very similar. But yeah. The R is the only one that I have not. It's still, it's still, it's not in the plastic, but I don't think I've, I don't think I've broke the bags on that one. I think every other one is, has got the cockpit painted. It's going, I, I find that that's a, a common spot where I'm like, mm, cockpit's painted. Cool. I'm going to put it back in the box and let it languish for three years. <laughs> I have, I have quite a few of those, quite a few of those. And I'd, I'd like to, the R is one. And I have heard that, that the R and maybe even like some of the early, like the, maybe the PF or the PFM, there are some issues on, on a couple of those that are a little a little harder than like the MF or the BIS. So I don't know. Which now, I, see, this I is have, getting my MiG 21 mojo going. I have like both this. of those. Um, I think uh, Sprue Brothers, I can't remember if it was the BIS or the, the MF. They had it on, on Lightning Deal. I'm like, oh, this is, I mean, there's no reason not to buy it. It was like $25. And then you, can, you, you can get a handful of, of good aftermarket stuff to go with it. And you're still less than the price of like one brand new, right? So I'm like, F it. Like, I'm, there's no reason not to do this. Um, so I have that. And then I can't remember. I picked up the B, I think that was the, the BIS. And then I, I picked up the, I think I picked up the MF at another, I can't, maybe I just was like, Oh, I'm going to buy some stuff. And I bought it. And then I also have the 72nd scale version that I bought at Nats because they were 25% off. So I mm-hmm. bought that. And I, I think, think I a, gave you, did I give you hell about that? I was like, come on, man. Let's go 48 scale here, buddy. I mean, I got three of them though. And I've heard that the, yeah. The the seventy second scale one is really good, and uh, I know just looking at the sprues, they do one thing better than the forty eighth. The uh, the nozzle on the back that goes over the engine is one piece instead of two pieces, like on the forty eighth scale, which makes no sense because you get that weird seam on the inside, which is on on at least on one of mine. I have a resin tail cone on it. I've got quite a few of those. Uh, I've got a I've got the the NATO version. It's in check. It's in there. There was one at Nats. I don't know if y'all remember. It had all the tiger stripes on it. It's kind of got like the tiger stripes on the tail. Yeah. Um, the, but, but it's like low viz tiger. It's all gray. I don't, I can't remember who built that, but I thought it was really cool. And then I've got like the Icaro, Icaro resin, Icaro resin. It's the, uh, the conversion kit to make the, um, the Lancer. And that's another one that I'd really like to do. The Lancer has that crazy, like neon blue underside. It's got all the really cool, it's, it's, and it's totally modernized too. I think the Romania fly those. I can't remember, but they're cool. That's another one that's on on the short list. And gosh, there's just so many. And that, that's that's the thing. Again, it's it's one kind of airplane that I can just go down a rabbit hole and build like 15 different ones. And and you know, for the most part, it's the same thing. Other than you know, you're finishing some of the details. And I just I kind of really get into just like the really I don't know, just the, the little differences here and there. Um, you know, you got you got guys who are spitfire nuts. I think I think El Presidente on the geeks. I think he's a big Spitfire nut, so he knows like oh, all yeah. the little 
you know, you can ask him anything about a Spitfire and he can tell you where, you know, where this latch was or that latch. And so I'm not quite that good with MiG-21s, but, but there have been times that I have been I'm like, oh yeah, man. Of course I forget half of it because I've got three kids and a freaking job and I just kind of forget about a lot of that stuff, but, <laughs> um, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it. There's another guy that likes to batch build. You know, he's been talking on the recent geeks about doing, I think, eight Ravel or monogram Mustangs at the same time uh, for a game. But still, you know, that batch build uh, concept is interesting. I just I've I've done a couple at a time, but I, I don't think I've ever done, you know, six or eight or, you know, anything like that. Well, uh, what else do you build besides jets? Recently, I guess it's been kind of a jet thing. Um I'm looking at my little case over here, uh, and I took some. I took some of these things to Nats. I had a, a couple of like uh, Nazi bombers, you know, that I built back in the day. I had a an AT-111 at Nats that that got a first place. It was kind of in a desert scheme. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody else saw that thing. It was kind of on the table by itself for most of the contests. I was like, dang man, I'm gonna I'm gonna get an award just because I'm one of the only three in this category. Of course, then by the end of the thing, they're filled up. But um, and then I've got. You know, I mean, I've just got, I've got so much stuff in here, man. It's just, um, oh, you know, there's ja- a Japanese float plane that I took to Nats. Um, I, I brought a couple of uh, a Russian, you know, prop fighters. That, that's kind of a thing I'd like to do. I've got a, I've got a MiG three and a Yak three, and I'd like to do the LAG. Is it the the Lag three? Is that the other, the other yeah. three that I would like to? I'd like to have all three of those at some point, and then maybe I've never entered like a you know, like a collection or something like that, but it'd be cool to have like the Russian dash threes or something and have all three of those sitting next to each other. I thought that'd be kind of cool. So that, that's kind of something, except the lag three that I have is the old ICM kit. And, whew, <laughs> and I think is, uh, that'll be a chore. That'll be a chore. It's the old ICM, not the new. I mean, if they came out with a new one, I mean, I'd be all over it. Old ICM is not easy. Yeah. And I did, you know what? I just thought about this. I did. Um, and I, I even put it on the posse. I actually just finished up my first kind of like, non-airplane build and or non-armor build and i, I finished a, a gundam I, you guess you could go back i don't know when i posted that but it was that old the old gog kit which is yeah. a really weird like underwater amphibious uh, amphibious suit or whatever i kind of just went with what it looked like on the box and really tried to restrain myself whenever it came to any kind of weathering because man those things are huge i mean it's like i even made like a little tiny plastic man so that i could get you can't see it of course but um Made made myself a little plastic man just so I could be like, okay, now how small would these chips be, and how small would these scratches be, just just to kind of try to keep myself in some kind of uh, in some kind of line, you know. And so that was really fun. I actually had a really good time and went right right after I finished that, went right back to the hobby shop and grabbed another Gundam kit. So that's something I've been working on. Um, well, my boys really are are really into Gundams too. I've got I've got a ten year old who really who's Who's, who's been able to, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I think that following an instruction sheet, I tell people this all the time, but I think of following a sheet of instructions as a life skill. I mean, people don't, there's a lot of people who don't know how to do it. So, you know, I give my kids an, instru- an instruction sheet and a model, I'm like, build it. And and they can, you know, and I'm, I, I think it's impressive. I'm like, man, my little six-year-old can do it too. So it's kind of been fun to kind of share that with them too, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. What did, I mean, as a mostly an aircraft modeler, I mean, uh, what was it like kind of going outside your comfort zone and building a, a Gundam kit? You know, it, it, it was a little different. Um, I think that I was looking for seams, you know, as an aircraft guy, I was looking for seams that probably, I think you're actually supposed to leave. And I filled a whole bunch of them. It's like, oh, look at this seam that's supposed to be gone. And then I'm looking at the box. I'm like, actually, you know what? I think that was supposed to be there. But, you know, so I've got like a really nice, smooth Gundam. 
with not very many seams. Um, you know, and again, the scale, the scale thing, like I talked about, was a big difference. Uh, just just having to restrain, you know, hold back a little bit, and not make it not make it too crazy looking. I mean, because if I'm if I'm airbrushing on some streaks, I mean, that's a massive fluid leak. You know, that's like you know hundreds of gallons a second or something at that point. So, but other than that, I mean, I you know, I felt. I, I just I used my normal skills, you know. I mean, I did I did some dry brushing. That's another thing I've gotten into lately too. Is just like Warhammer stuff, trying to learn how to to hand paint. We moved about about two years ago. We moved, and so I didn't have access to my bench, and so I got I got some Games Workshop stuff and started kind of trying to figure out, you know, okay, how do I paint this? And I think I've sent TJ quite a few messages like, bro, how do I make this look better? And so. I always fall back to my dry brushing stuff, you know, um, and I even dry brushed on this, on this Gundam. And I mean, there's just some things you can't get away from, you know, people are like, you dry brush. I love it. I can't help it. My favorite. I've long maintained that, that dry brushing is a much maligned technique and it shouldn't be, but like anything, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and my personal opinion, you know, the wrong way is dry brushing an armor model with titanium white. I mean, this is a 1975 right like we've <laughs> we've moved past that i mean and if you still do that it's fine like okay you know you do you but me that no that's not a, i guess saying the wrong way is the, the, not the right way to say it but um i dry brush as well dry brushing oils is awesome it's i do that on my armor models if you do it a, in a in a proper way then it's not it, it, you can make it work um and the same thing goes with with miniatures and and you'll you'll see and you, I see it in videos now where where model or painters are like, hey, you know, dry brushing gets a bad rap, but there's a lot of times where you really need to do it and it really can make the difference. And just and same thing when you're painting miniatures, there's a good way to do it and a not so good way to do it. And if you do it the good way, man, it looks it looks cool. I was like that artist Opus guy. I can't remember his name. Um, They sell brushes and he has a whole he shows you how to dry brush everything. He'll dry brush an entire like Warhammer vehicle. And it looks awesome if you you mm-hmm. follow what he does. And obviously, if you just paint it one color and dry brush it one color, yeah, it's going to look like it was dry brush. But yeah, I'd see people that turn their nose up at that is, you know, I, I can't get behind that. And like techniques are techniques are techniques, man. It's their tools. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. You can figure out a good way to stack those techniques, too. You know, you've got your dry brushing. And, and some of y'all may be familiar with the whole slap chop thing where people are, you know, you're basically spraying one color and then kind of dry brushing and using the contrast paints over the top. And at first I was like, yeah, that's crazy. There's no way that looks good. And then you try it and it's like, yeah. And then you can kind of stack some more, you know, some more techniques over the top of that. And man, you can really get some stuff done quickly. Um, you know, I had a couple guys approach me and like, hey, can, will you paint this this army for me? Which I... I'm kind of, you know, I, I talk to Whitey a lot with the, he's, you know, with the geeks. Both of us end up with commission builds, and it's just like, ah, it turns turns into a slog, man. And I'm sure that y'all have been there before too. And I, I just learned, I need to learn to say no. But whenever it comes to that that army stuff, man, being able to being able to just dry brush and and then do some washes and stack some techniques over that, you can really get some stuff done really quickly, and it and it looks pretty dang good, it really does. So, Justin, if people aren't familiar with your work, uh, where can they find you on social media? Well, you can find me on Facebook. If you see me, it, my wife and I have been talking about this too. She's like, well, people will see pictures of our family. And I'm like, well, most of the people that I, you know, that I'm friends with on Facebook, I know, I know who they are. You know, I don't think that they're criminals. They may be, um, for the most part, I think everybody's pretty, pretty, you know, on the up and up here, but you know, you can find me on Facebook, just search Justin Lentz and you'll find me on there. I don't even know what the heck my picture is anymore, but. Ask, ask, just send me a friend request. I'd love to. I'd love to be buddies. I will check you out. 
Um, I'll probably do a full background check. I'll need, uh, you know, send me your social security number, address, stuff like that. And we'll figure that out. But then you can also find me on Instagram. I think it's on Instagram. I'm Justin D. Lentz. And I think that's kind of where I'm going to start kind of putting my model stuff more on Instagram and then make it to where, you know, you don't have to see pictures of like my front porch. You know, I'm, a- I'm asking asking people for, for advice on what I should do, you know, as far as decorating my front porch. And it goes to Instagram. And you know, the cool thing is, you know, I've got guys, I've got modeling guys who are like, oh, actually, I think it'd be a really good idea, you know, if you did this and it did that. Like, you know, Bruce Worrell, I never actually thought that I would be getting advice from you on how I should decorate my front porch. But this is great. <laughs> this is great. I, 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 I agree with John Everett. A, a guitar would be nice. Right. Just a guitar mural. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, also, you forgot your blog over at www.iwonacraptonofawardsatnaths.com. <laughs> we were uh, we were talking uh, before before we started recording. TJ and I were giving Justin a little heat because uh, you know we were walking walking around in the in the show floor, kind of with Justin, and he was showing us his stuff, and it's legit. I mean, it's really really good. You're very talented and. Yeah, you were, yeah, I think you were kind of saying, yeah, you know, I come to these things, but I never win. It'd be nice to maybe take home one and we get into the end of the award ceremony. I'm kind of in the back of the room because I was trying to help broadcast the award ceremony and you get an award. So I send you a text. Ah, nice job, man. Good job. You know, and you sent me a thing back, you know, thanks. And then they read your name. And they read your name again. They, <laughs> about six or seven times in, I, I sent Justin a text and dude settle settle down seriously man <laughs> oh dude it was that was it was awesome man i really wanted like I, dude i don't i don't care about awards but i just really wanted one of those cool little belt buckles man that, that was a killer award you know it's just it's just cool to it's cool to put in your little case and be like oh man that's neat you know i just thought they were so cool and so that was really i just wanted one man i couldn't help it i don't care if it was third you know or whatever i just i really wanted one of those little things so to pick up I mean, but that, see, the thing is like, that was, I brought everything basically that I've ever built because I, I, I've been one, one other Nats and that was last year and flew up there kind of last minute and was able to take like a little box with two airplanes in it, you know, and took those up there. And those are the only two basically that, that I was proud of that I didn't take to this Nats. Uh, it was only, you know, about a six hour drive from here to Nats this year. And so, dude, I, I, I packed everything. I, so I think I ended up bringing like 18 models or something like that. And so many of them ended up in the same category, but half of it was like, I just want to have my models here so I can show people. Like, I'm going to talk about, you know, I'm going to talk about my models and, and, and I want to see everybody else's stuff. So that, that that's going to be the hard part is that from now on, like I'm going to actually have to build stuff to take to, to take the Nats and stuff. Cause I, I don't have anything left. Everything, everything that I, that I, I took down there, I can't, I can't take, take anymore. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to actually build stuff and finish stuff. Y'all, this is kind of putting some pressure on me here. So what's next? What are you working on right now? Well, after this, see, after this, after this funky fake MIG, that's what Whitey calls it. He calls it a fake MIG. Anytime I see a, anytime I see a Griffin engine Spitfire, I always call them fake Spitfires, <laughs> which, which the geeks love. So, so he's been calling this a fake MIG and it, I guess it kind of is, but after, so after this fake MIG, I mean, just having this conversation with you, I'm like, oh man, I need to, I need to get back on my MIG 21s. So I think I'm probably going to, probably going to break out one of those um i've got the uh, the pf i think the and it's in the uh it's uh, here's the, here's the funny thing i've never built a russian mig not not a single i don't i'm trying to look here no 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 
they're all something else. So I think the next one that, that I had planned was to build a, the Russian the Russian PF that has the big, I don't know if it has the big red stripe around the, the rear of the fuselage. I think it was maybe like whenever they were, was it like the, they were attacking Czechoslovakia or something, or there was something going on. I, I, that's the other thing is like my history kind of falls off, but that's probably the next one, you know, natural metal. And, and then I'm probably just going to fall down the MiG-21 rabbit hole for a little while. That's kind of where I'm going. Other than the Gundam, the Gundam thing is still going to happen. That's going to happen. So those of y'all who built Gundams, be expecting private messages quite often because i have no idea what's going on you want to hit up uh cobra plot um our buddy up in uh, seattle he's man he he eats drinks and sleeps that stuff so yeah he's a good reference yeah he's he's awesome man i and you know what I, I i'd be remiss if i didn't if i didn't think him because he's one of the guys that i have been kind of going back and forth with like hey you know recommend a good kit that's the other thing is like i have no idea what's good and bad and and, and even why it's good and bad whenever it comes to to some yeah. of these things so it's like hey dude help me help me pick out a, a, a decent next kit and so yeah. he has man his his stuff is so good holy crap his stuff is so good yeah he's good at photography too but yeah he's a great resource when you know i I was looking for a messer and he was like, yeah, you don't want to do the 2010 one. That one's junk, <laughs> yeah. but this 2016 one. Yeah. That's your kit. You're like, Oh, okay. All right. I would yeah. not have known this. Yep. So, yeah. I will. I will buy that one. I will buy that one. Okay. Big question. Big question time. Your magnum opus build. You can build anything. The kit doesn't even have to exist, but if you could build one thing, it's like, I would be happy till the day I die that I build that kit. What would it be? One kit. There is okay, so there's one kit that I would, and this is this is this will be way out of left field now that we've been talking about MIGs and all this other stuff. But the the one kit that I wish that that they would make, and I wish Hashigawa already has a sec, seventy second scale. Um, is it the the Jake the float plane? It has the it's the it's got the dual floats, and I and the Chimo made it way back in the day, and Hashigawa has a seventy second scale kit, the forty eight scale a forty eight scale jake would probably be the thing just thinking about it right now like i want that kit to come out that might just be my wish magnum opus would probably be see and i don't go off a of 48 scale that's the other thing people are like man you should build a 30 second scale mig 21 I'm like you can't do it i just can't do it i don't have the space and i just i don't know there's something about it but i i would think probably the uh, 48 scale jake float plane come on Hasegawa. let's do it it's I'm been surprised like it doesn't already exist it's been like eight years since they released the 72nd scale one, I think. And I don't think they've come out with anything 48 scale aircraft wise new anyway and forever. So yeah, it seems really... like they're they're mostly doing sci-fi for their new releases rather than very many aircraft. At least that's what it seems like. Yeah, I would love I, I, I do have their Dave. I, I, I kind of have a weak, a weak spot for uh, for Japanese float planes, too. Not that I necessarily build them. I built two. I built a roof and and the Rex. But then I also have I have the Dave and the Pete in the in the stash, and those are those are ones that I've taken out and you know cut off screws and started fitting them and messing with. So those, those two are there. But that Jake man, they gotta do the thing, Jake with a catapult. That would be freaking cool too. Did they did they do catapults or did they just do a little crane, set it in the water, and let it go? I think isn't that what uh, Basquette's been working on? His is seventy two, but I think he's working on a Jake with a catapult. Yeah, Ooh, well, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I think they, it. I think they were launched with the catapult. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Because if you go in magnum opus, go big, right? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> a maybe a turret or something on the ship or something too. But yeah, that full planes are really, really cool. Um, I think Grant picked up one of Edward's uh, two packs of the roofs at Nats from Edward. We sure mm-hmm. did. I think I think Jensen also got one too. Yeah, as soon as you said how much it was, I was like, right, I'm going now. <laughs> Watch the tape, I'll be back in a second. <laughs> yep. I, I really think I don't know. It's it's been crazy that you've seen a lot of more Japanese float planes. There's been a there's been a big in call for them, and I think that's by modelers, you know, like yourself, who brought very nice looking float planes to nationals, and people are seeing it and they're wanting it, and you know, it's 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 definitely a growing growing section of the build like aircraft. Yeah, I think it's just for me too. It's like okay, here we go now on to the fiddly bits, and guess what? There aren't any fiddly bits. It's like you don't have to attach any gear. You don't have to attach any of that annoying stuff that's always that always kills me at the end of a build. You know. Yep. That's been that. That's what's so cool about float planes too. It, yep. it, it it does take a little bit of imagination to figure out a way to kind of display them. And I've never done the whole water thing. You know, right. um, I did mine kind of on like a little my little Rex that I brought to Nats. I did that like on a on a, like a little boat ramp. Right. You know, and I had a figure that I had painted a while back, so I was like, I'll ah, stick him on there too. And so. Yep. You kind of got to get a little creative. Yeah, that's the nice thing about the Edwards kit is that it comes with the trailers. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the trailers right there. And it comes, that kit's a dual kit, so you get two sets of trailers. So it's nice. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it is, I think it's the uniqueness of them. And there's been actually in the last couple of years, a really couple of good books that came out about Japanese floor planes. And I can't remember the mm-hmm. name of the company that was, there's, a, there's one that they were at Nationals, actually. And they were selling their books and it was it's really actually pretty interesting book so you know more power to them anything more unique like that is great to see in the hobby definitely the triple p is sponsored by tankcraft makes of the highly realistic aftermarket 3d printed tank tracks in 135th scale tankcraft pro tracks are as real as it gets these are not just copies of previously produced model kit parts. These designs are based on real one-to-one scale tank track links that Tankcraft has measured and photographed. These designs are then downsized to 135th scale, printed and then test fitted to major brand 135th armor kits. Having used these tracks, we can honestly say that these are the highest quality tracks that we've ever used. Super detailed, easy to assemble, with very fine, almost invisible layer lines. Cleanup is minimal and usually not even needed. So go on over to tankcraft.com right now. That's T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T.com and get yourself a set of pro tracks. While you're there, check out the other cool scale modeling tools that they sell. Your bench will thank you. And just a reminder, Posse fans can get 15% off their first order using the Posse 15 code at checkout. That's P-O-S-S-E 15 at checkout for your discount. All right. I think it's time to move on to, uh, well, I guess I can tell you guys what I was doing. Do you want to hear what I've been working on? That's not a whole lot. Yep. Doug, what have you been working on? Oh, me? Um, I've been part of the A-Wing build that Grant's a part of. I've got it ready for paint and uh, ready to go. Actually, it's painted. It's got the base coat on. I'm looking to put markings on it now. For the most part, that's where I'm at. I was out of town in California for a week. So that kind of threw a lot of my plans off for for these kinds of things. We had a couple of shows, though, recently that our guys attended. I want to start off by talking about a show that I saw, an unexpected show, an awesome show. I was at Disneyland and walking out of Fantasyland, the Fantasyland part, if you know where that is, if you've been there. And everybody around us gasped all of a sudden because right out in front of us, in the in the twilight sky, the sun had been down for half an hour. Was a rocket launch from Vandenberg uh, Space Force Base. 
And uh, I've never seen anything like it. I follow rocket launches as much as I can because I think it's awesome. And I saw it in person, watched the first and second stage separate, and you could see the second stage going on for three minutes. You could still see it as it was picking up more speed. It was a a, um, Firefly launch. So I just wanted to brag on that because that was like one of the coolest things I ever I have ever seen. So a model shows, though, Scott, um, you and JB went up to Boise. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. JB uh, flew over uh, from Denver. I picked him up at the airport on uh, Friday afternoon a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, being where he's in Denver, I think his plane ticket over to me was like 29 bucks. I mean, it's way cheaper than driving. Right. So I just picked him up and we grabbed a uh, grab burger and, and headed for Idaho and uh, Boise's not that far. It's four, four and a half hours, something like that. And uh, anyway, we we crashed and got up and went to a show. And it's kind of a smaller show, but it was great. The Boise Club is uh, puts on a nice little model show. They had it in a in a, a local church. The president of the chapter there works at this church, and really, really nice, um, really open, well lit uh, area. I think there were about three hundred and sixty models. Uh, that ended up showing up and we had guys from Oregon and uh, Washington and Utah, uh, as well as uh, the Idaho guys. And and that was really, really good. Met a lot of friends and uh, made some new friends and um, ha- had a really, really good time. Uh, they had a really good raffle. I bought uh, $12 worth of raffle tickets and won seven things. So I just was giving them away. One of our one of our local guys, his name is is Aaron, and uh, man, his son came and uh, we were giving him. Our, all of us were giving us giving him our raffle tickets because we were winning, and he was going and getting them, and he ended up bringing a big old huge uh, stack of kits home in the truck. And uh, JB even gave him a lesson. He he uh, he went over there. John and I were over there at the raffle, and he came over to collect one of his wins, and he grabs this little seventy second scale something, and JB. Be jelly kind of puts his hand on him and says, No, 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 put that back. Let me show you how this is done. He's like, Now step back here. He's like, I want you to look and see what's the biggest kit there is. And so he looks around, he finds this Airfix 124 scale BF 109E. And then John goes, That's the way you do raffles. That's the way you do them. So now it's a lot of fun. It was a really good time. Really appreciate the hospitality they showed us. And, uh, you know, obviously we post a lot of videos and pictures, but it was great. Really had a good time. Grant, you made it out to the 101 Wonder Show. Is that right? Yeah, it's a WonderCon in Oxnard, California. Um, it's a group from the Thousand Oaks Oxnard area, IPMS group, a brand new group, only about a, one or two years old. This is their very first show. They had it at a small little car museum there in Oxnard, California, which was, it was, it was quite interesting. A lot of neat cars and everything around there. Like I said, it was their very first show. They ended up with over like 310 models, 265 competitors, which was great. They actually, they underestimated themselves quite a bit. They were bringing in tables and crazy stuff like that. So that's really good. And, you know, we, there were some great, there was people from Southern Cal and North, North Cal. Um, there were some, uh, the Vegas guys showed up. Joe and those that group of guys showed up. There were some people from uh, all over Nevada. Some even came up from Mexico. Um, so it was a really good show. They had a great time. They, you know, it's their like I said, very first show. Three hundred plus models. You can't beat that. They had a really good idea, which I really like. The 
they limited people to two models per category. So you couldn't bring in a lot of models for one category. So it was really actually, it made it, it made it a little bit easier to get stuff moved around. They had a really good variety of models, I would say. There was some Everything from, uh, which we have a lot out here is car builders, uh, which are fantastic. The, the guys, the car builders in the Southern California area are, are some of the best I've seen. The, the paint, the work they do is phenomenal. Uh, aircraft modelers, there are some really, really good local uh, aircraft modelers out here. And, you know, and then there was armor, sci-fi, all the rest. It turned out really nice, uh, but it was a great time. And I'm, I'm really, the, the group was really happy and they did a great job. Yeah, I can't say enough about the group. They hooked me up with a table and I, I was able to get some kits sold off that I needed to get some extra money for, for some shows coming up. But it was great. And, but I cannot thank those guys enough. The group did a fantastic job for their first show for anything. They were great. Grant, I want to personally thank you for the proper pronunciation of Nevada. Oh. Um, <laughs> thank you. Because no one says it right. Everyone says Nevada and it's not Nevada. It's nope. Nevada. So yes, thank you. You're as welcome. a former as a former Nevadan, I appreciate it. <laughs> I have been corrected on that so many times that <laughs> it's in brain in my head now. TJ had an idea for something we could discuss today. Um TJ, do you wanna do you wanna lead us into our discussion topic? Yeah, I can do that. Um actually, you know, I have to to tip the hat to JB who is not with us today. Um it was actually his idea that um he had said he wanted to discuss. So sorry, man, that uh, you missed this one. But uh, he um, wanted to discuss planning or lack thereof um, and how it impacts your model building and what you plan, if you plan anything at all. And um, I'll go ahead and start. And uh, I- I'm sure this won't be a surprise. So literally anyone that knows me, I don't plan anything like at all. As we were saying before, we were kind of getting going. uh Look at the desk behind me. Does it does it look like anything back there has been planned? Because uh, it's not. Yeah, I don't. I don't plan it. <laughs> like just full stop. I just don't. Um, I wish that I could. In a, in a lot of ways, I, I feel like I, I I see people that do. Like I've seen it. Like on social media, where where guys will like literally write down everything they're gonna do on a build. And you know, I wish I could do that. And it, sometimes. I just can't. If I had to do that, I feel like it would just kill any any momentum that that I might even have. Like most things in life, I make it up as I go along. I fake it until I make it. Um, I do that professionally. I do that in modeling. I just throw caution to the wind and just go. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. Sometimes it it bites me in the butt a little bit because I'll get this idea. You know, I'll have an idea and I'm like, yep, I'm just gonna go and I go and I'm like, ooh, this was. I probably should have thought about this a little bit harder than I did. And uh, that's probably why I have a lot of stalled builds. I know you guys have probably seen, uh, I, I have a spreadsheet of, of my stash and I have a column on whether or not it started or not. And if I choose it started on the drop down menu, it turns that cell yellow. I have a lot of yellow cells on my list of, of uh, kits. And it's also sidebar that's annoying because when I go like the other day when I was like, I'm going to sell some of these, I'm like, ooh, yeah, I started this one. I probably can't sell it. I mean, I maybe, but I know I wouldn't want to buy a kit that was started. So I'm like, man, I got some good stuff here that I probably won't ever build, but it's like half built. Who's going to buy this? Uh, maybe someone that knew me, but I can't, I wouldn't sell it to a stranger because they don't know if my builds are good. And frankly, half of them aren't that good. So I'm not the best builder in the world. So yeah. 
yeah, I don't play anything. I, to me, it's it's kind of a waste of time of my time. I, you know, again, if someone else wants to do that, that's that's fine. That's your time. You can use it however you would like. But to me, especially now, where my time is a little bit more limited because of work, and I work far away from my house, so I get home later than I would like. You know, I have stuff outside of work. I have exercising that that takes time away from my job. And as getting older, like I definitely prioritize that over more than anything else because i don't want to get old and decrepit and fall apart to my two kids are in three different sports and uh for some reason my wife and i became sports parents so i'm like if i have time i'm not going to use it to sit down and write down what i want to do i'm going to just gonna go do it and also video games exist so that takes up even more of my time but uh yeah i'm interested to how you guys see planning and if you do plan what what you plan because i don't plan anything and like at all just I have no time for that so I'll start with you, Scott. What what about you? So I think I'm a little bit similar to you in that I, I would like to plan more than I do, that I just really don't. I do some planning when I acquire things in my stash or when I like buy aftermarket. You know, if I if I see Jensen working on something and I'm like, hey, oh, where'd you get that barrel or something? You know, and then I'll go and, you know, pick something up if I have something in my stash. And so I guess that's sort of planning, you know, but uh one of my best buddies, uh, Josh Buck, he he has a book kind of like you alluded to uh, TJ and he writes ideas down and uh, I I, kind of wish I was a lot better at that. He also, as he does builds, he'll make notes. And then if he needs to repair a model later on, or if he puts a model away and comes back to it a year or two later, he knows what his paint mixes look like and what, you know, or things that he still needs to bring that build across the finish line. So I would like to be better at that, but I'm really not very good at it either i'm i'm a lot like you i think tj you know i kind of wish that i did write stuff down because then i would have known that i had a almost completely built y-wing from 10 years ago and i probably would have built and finished it already <laughs> it's a good surprise to have though i mean i guess i looked on your feed today and i was like oh man this is just gonna feed into the feed into the tj myth you know the guy snaps his fingers and hey look a y-wing <laughs> yeah i think um uh, was it zach was like when did you build a y-wing i'm like when you were in elementary school i think so like <laughs> I, I, I don't know like it was a long time ago man i just i found it when you were going to the prom <laughs> oh no he he was probably in elementary school when i built that thing zach is not that old oh, that's <laughs> sorry, sorry buddy <laughs> yeah maybe he was in sixth grade but i also don't that might be elementary school in tennessee i don't know some places in virginia that's still elementary but uh yeah <laughs> that's pretty funny uh what about you doug do you plan anything at all ever well um i plan only on like the group builds with a time restraint, especially like when we do our 48 hour group builds with models for heroes or scale models for vets. In those cases, then I will go into it making sure I have all my paints, all my my decals, everything's ready to go. I've kind of got in my mind a plan. I don't write it down, but a plan in my mind of how I'm going to accomplish things and what my time frames need to be so that I can finish in time. Um, other than that, I think that your uh, your spreadsheet is more planning than I do for most things. I mean, it's just I don't I didn't think about it. I forget sometimes how many models I have already started. I look up on these shelves and I think, oh man, you know those those three are well well and truly started, and I don't know when I'll get back to them. So not not something that I do much of. I probably should, but I'm I'm fine with where with where I'm at right now. I highly recommend the the spreadsheet method. Um, I only did that because I, I get a little loose with the wallet sometimes and uh, I don't like buying 
crap that I already have. <laughs> and uh, what I mean, what I should really put on the spreadsheet is the paint I have, because the number of times I've bought a bottle of paint, I'm like, ooh, I like this color. And I get home and put it in the drawer. I'm like, damn, I already have two of these. What am I going to do with three bottles of this one paint that I just thought looked cool? It's not like olive drab where I know I'm going to use, you know, eight bottles, you know, on, you know, various product uh, projects. It's like I, this random light blue that I think looks really neat that I'm probably use one time. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I already bought this. Justin, I'm going to go over to you. Please tell me you plan something. Um, I might have to disappoint you. I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm quite. I mean, do we consider buying aftermarket planning? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would say so. Cause I I I know, I know for for me, sometimes I'll buy the aftermarket first and then I'm like, Ooh, I should buy, probably buy a kit that goes with this. But I know some people will (laughs) buy the kit and then, Oh, I need this aftermarket, this aftermarket, this and this. Yeah. I'll say that I do have some projects that I do have planned. Um, I have the, the AMK MIG 31 and that big giant gray thing. Um, and I, I have, I, I think I literally have every bit of aftermarket for it. I've got like the metal landing gear and, and I've got exhausts and a cock. I mean, I've got so much stuff for that. So I, I think I said that there are some projects that I do plan and there's other ones that I would like to plan. I, I was showing y'all before, before we kicked off, I've got the little black book and I have like, literally I have builds in here where I have, I have started the pay. I've started and I like write down the title uh, you know what model it is and then there's literally nothing after that but the model's done i mean i finished the model which is you know i mean that's cool but like no i didn't write anything down i have really good intentions i think sometimes what what i have found uh as you know just writing down paint mixes is one of the biggest ones especially for somebody like me who will who will put things away for an extended period of time and then you come back and you're like i have no idea what color that cockpit is i mean it's gray but what, what kind of gray, which, you know, which one of the 1500 bottles of paint? I don't, sorry. I hope my wife is not listening. I don't really have 1500 bottles of paint. Not that she would care, but anyway, I just don't want anybody who might be outside Mordor to think I really have 1500 bottles of paint <laughs> or, or anybody on the internet. You know, I mean, I, I guess so whenever it comes to, to that, like, you know, paint mixes are a good thing to at least plan or at least take notes. But uh, as I mean, you know, and occasionally I guess I do have, the kit that I have planned out the, the EF, I have the EF 111 um, that I've got kind of planned out too. You know, I have that, that, that almost might be another, we were talking about Magnum Opus. That almost could be another Magnum Opus build for me is the, the EF 111 with the like res kit exhaust and the, and the whole like front part of the air, airplane. It's all resin. That's another one that I've got planned out pretty well. I know which scheme I'm going to do. I think I watched like a dog fights on that one. Those guys had huge brass balls flying in, flying in a rock with no, with no, no weapons at all. So I, I, I've always been really fascinated with that. But I mean, man, as far as like writing down anything, kind of like Doug, I guess, you know, if we have um, every year we do a March Madness build um, where you have 31 days to knock it out. So that you kind of do have to be a little bit, at least you got to make sure that you've got everything you need. Cause if you end up having to wait for something to show up, you won't finish. Um, I built a U2. A U, one of the AFB club U2s last year for the March Madness build. And um, that was that you had to make, I had to make sure that I had everything on hand. So that's probably about as, as planny as I get. I just, I'm kind of like you. I kind of shoot from the hip. I, d- I do have a question for you though, TJ. If, if Maybe just to make myself feel better. What, what do you think the percentage of your kits 
that are that are started and stalled. What I mean, because I've been in the same place where it's like, hey, I'm gonna sell some of these kits. Ooh, no, I'm not not selling that one. Not oh, not selling that one either because I've started it. So what do you think? Like if you had to, if you're st- if you had to look at your stash, what what, what do you think percentage wise? I mean, I guess you could just open up your Excel spreadsheet and just do it real quick. But or like what percentage of the kits I have that are started or what level of yeah. started are they? Okay. What out, just out of started? All, yeah. Without, okay. You, I'm know, not you, looking, feel, you I'm, feel bad selling them. I, I'm, I'm not looking at my spreadsheet. I'm trying to think the last time I looked at it, I just updated it the other day. I think I had crap, 160 kits. That's just kits. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have my figures and any of my wargaming stuff. And, and, and honestly, I don't have my, all my band. I have a lot of Bandai Star Wars stuff. I haven't cataloged all that and I probably should. Oh, I'd probably say out of all those, I think I have probably like 20 that are started to, to some, some degree. Yeah. And I think the, I'm way worse. Now, you know, now I'm going to have to look because now, now I'm really curious. I feel like it might be more than that because I definitely feel like when I went through all that crap behind me the other day, Everything I open, I'm like, oh crap! I forgot I started this. Damn it! Oh, I'm not selling this. And of course, it's all stuff that I, well, I know would sell. I would know would sell well, which is probably why I bought it. And uh, yeah, maybe 25. So I, I, whatever that is of of the percentage of kits I have, I don't know. I am not good at math, but uh, yeah, more than I would like. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Definitely more than I would like. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna get on on your level and maybe get an Excel spreadsheet. Hey, are you an Excel spreadsheet guy? Not really. Is that a pretty? I was gonna say, would you mind maybe sending me that? I could deal. deal, You know, like my own deal. I can just send you the template I used. Um, no, I'm not really. I I know how to use Excel or in Google Sheets. It's the same damn thing. I had a job where we had to use a lot of Excel spreadsheets. I had to teach myself how to do it because as a construction worker, you don't use a lot of excel spreadsheets in your day-to-day uh but i did a job for a while where we did have a lot of spreadsheets so i learned how to, and i had a lot of free time with the one job i had so i taught myself i can't do everything but i can make it work for me but yeah i'll send you my templates I, I think it's pretty good yeah yeah i'd, lo- I'd love to see it that I, I can make i can make things just you know again just having to occasionally use one and create a spreadsheet or whatever but i would really like to i don't know i always like to see what other people are doing I, I'll, I'll do that and then I'll send you mine and then you can click the button to see which one started and see how much more yellow I probably have than you. <laughs> I'm just, oh, I'm look, I'm looking in the closet over here and it's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I mean, some of these are like half built or more, you know? I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this such thing is like adult onset ADD, but I feel like if there is, I may, I may have it. <laughs> It's not the shelf of doom, bro. It's a shelf of I'm gonna finish that someday. One day, one one year, I'm gonna finish like 45 models. You know, <laughs> one year I'm going to. Okay, so I will say you. This won't I, be I, the- I just pulled up my sheet. I have 173 models on this list. I have started 32 of them. Ooh, like 20 percent, man. Is that 20 percent? I'm That's again, about 20 percent. math. Yeah. And like I said, some good stuff on this list too, which just- I'm annoys me because i could sell a, a, a number of these and and come out on top justin do we hear 25 do we hear 30 no man i, I bet i've got i bet i've got a uh, hundred and i bet i've got a hundred i bet i've got a hundred kits let's just say i've got a hundred kits and i bet i've started dude i bet i've started 50 of them <laughs> if not more if not more <laughs> but a lot of the time okay so let, let me a lot of them whenever i say started they're not necessarily even painted so one of my favorite things to do is watch football 
in the fall. And my, one of my other favorite things to do is build models if you didn't know that. And so what I like to do is get a beer, sit down at the, sit down on the couch with a TV tray, get a model and just start cutting parts off and start fitting and stuff like that. So a lot of those are kind of like that, you know, I feel like I can still sell those, but I bet I still couldn't sell them for full price, you know? So, but I, I bet I dude, I bet I'm, I'm probably 50% started at least. Wow. What I've, what I've started doing is making sure that I leave the plastic on them. I'm like, nope, don't touch the plastic. If I don't touch the plastic, I'm usually pretty good. But if, if the box is open, mm, I'll get back to y'all. How about that? Once I get that spreadsheet from TJ, once I get that template from him, I'm going to do it. So that brings I'll up. Share, I'll share it with the world and I'll be ashamed. That brings up a good question. Do you clip off all your parts before you build something or do you build as you, do you clip your parts off as you build? Because that's planning. Yeah. Mm, I, I do uh, not not necessarily all of it, but I will I, I will I will straight and I've learned this from my buddy Gabe Pincelli. I don't know if you guys know him well or no I know that you'll know him. He will he will tape up an entire build. Like he'll tape up the wings, he'll tape up I mean he'll 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 build the entire thing and and then he then he knows where he's gotta work on stuff. And and so I've kind of learned that from him that 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 is one way that you can really you can do yourself a massive favor. Yeah. So that's planning. Yeah. I never, never really thought about it that way, but yeah, I guess I do plan when it comes to that. I do. Yeah. yeah I'll, I, I'll, I'll go tape like, up the whole thing. Yeah. I go a couple steps ahead and I'll, I'll cut like three or four steps ahead, all my stuff out and then clean it and then put three or four steps together, then go to the next three or four. That's I, yeah, you're yeah. right. That is, that is yeah, planning. If it, I mean, if it's something repetitive, like if I build a Sherman, yeah. mm-hmm. like I know how to build, I know how to build the bogeys, right? Right. And it, so I'll, I'll clip off every single bogey piece. I'll put each, each bogey, you know, the, the two lefts, or the three lefts, the three rights. I'll put all those parts in little piles. That's just, that's just efficiency in, in my mind. Cause you got to clean all the pieces, then you got to stick them all together. So I'm like, I don't, I don't like clipping stuff off. It's like one of my least favorite parts and I hate cleaning, right. uh, but I like putting stuff together. But that, so to kind of take a little bit of a, a tangent, we'll, we'll get back to the planning, but. <laughs> But Justin brought this up, and and I I think it's this also probably would have been a really awesome topic. Just putting stuff together. I also really like to do that. That's probably the main reason why I have so many started kits because sometimes I'm not in the mood. I love painting. It's probably my favorite part of model building is just actually painting because that's you know when you can be creative and and especially a lot of the stuff that I paint like machine and creator stuff like painting that is like the most fun because literally do whatever you want. But um I. Also, really like to just put stuff together. And sometimes, even though like I have a full setup and I don't have to worry about taking stuff out and, and getting set up, I can, I'm ready to go at any time. All I got to do is turn my air compressor on. But man, sometimes just like sitting down and like opening a kit, taking the pieces out, you know, taking the frames out and start just putting stuff together. Man, it is, it feels so good. And, and I, don't, I don't drink a lot of beer. I used to, but I, I try not to these days. But, but yeah, you know, having a nice drink or, or, you know, and just sitting down and, and man, just putting stuff together. It's something, there's, it's very satisfying, right? And like, I'll have a bad day at work or, or, you know, just not be feeling myself and you're like, you know, I'm just going to put something together. And, and also, you know, probably like a lot of you guys, I, I also go in, in fits and starts a lot of times and, you know, I have the reputation of finishing a lot of stuff, but I, I don't, I don't really, cause a lot of that stuff was, as we've just explained, was already started. So finishing it didn't take as much effort as it looks like. Yeah. I just wanted to throw it out there, man. Sometimes just putting stuff together, just, just as someone who builds things for a living, obviously I like to do that or I wouldn't do it for a living. Well, that's probably not true. I mean, there's other things I'd rather do, but I'm good at what I do. So I guess whatever. Um, But, 
Yeah, just I, I like seeing stuff come up from nothing, right? Like, you know, when I when we build a building, like there's not a building there. And then when you're done, there's a building. Um, I worry about the pipes inside the building, but same thing. And the same thing, like, you know, you start with a pile of nothing. And by the time you're done, there's an object sitting on your on your bench. So that's that's a neat feeling, I guess. And yeah, it's very therapeutic sometimes. Uh, I, I agree with 100%. I mean, that's that's like you. I love watching or being part of that process of taking nothing into something. And uh, I think sometimes some of the be- best models I've seen are not painted. They're just sitting on a table complete with all their, you know, you can see what the person did to that model, like all the photo etch they added, all the all the work they did on the bogeys or whatever it was. And sometimes, I, you know, that's that's impressive to me. But I'm, I'm with you is that it, it, it's such the process of putting something together is so relaxing to me that I, I, I'm like you, I, I just I just love to do it. And it's, it, it can be everything from a figure to whatever. But, you know, it's just that process of putting something together or changing something or modifying something and making it. You know, I love that process. So, Grant, since you're next in line, <laughs> what about you? Did, did uh, you plan anything? I, I, I mean, I, I kind of already feel I know your answer, but yeah, let's, let's I, hear it. I, I do plan a little bit. I mean, I, I, I will say that I do write down in books. I, I, I have a notebook that I have. It doesn't go back to when I was eight years old or anything like that, but it's a notebook that I have like paint schemes in, color schemes, especially I like to do a lot of figures, Warhammer figures, and I like to do Civil War figures. And there's certain color tones that you need to really kind of be close at. So I I, I do that. I, I, I do I do plan a little bit by cutting pieces off like we just talked about, <laughs> uh, I guess, a little bit. So, you know, and Doug, and, and Doug is 100% right also, you know, those 48-hour builds when we do stuff like that or we're doing a group build, like a group build we're going to talk about here in a little bit is the facade build. I, I planned a little bit for that. I guess I would say I plan to a point, but I'm not one of those people that plans – you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and do this. Okay. Now I got to go buy the model and then I got to buy this part. And I, I don't do it that way. I kind of find something that I like and I kind of start planning around that way. So I, I would say, do I plan? Uh, yeah, I do a little bit, and, but I don't in a little bit. So it's, I'm kind of in between, I guess, if that makes sense at all, you know, that's, that's where I stand. I, I definitely, when I'm doing something for Star Wars, like if I'm working on a Bandai kit, I like to look for specific things. So I know I'm not, just jumping on something out of the blue, but, uh, but yeah, I guess I plan a little bit. I would say yes. All right, Jensen, let's hear it. You've been awfully quiet. Um, it's, it's no, I don't plan. Um, the only planning I do really is like before the project even starts and that's okay. What kit am I going to build by what manufacturer, what aftermarket do I need for it? And what type of scheme or whatever am I, am I going to model? the modeling as soon, literally the second that build starts, there is no planning. I just go with it until it's done. Um, only only kind of planning, quote unquote, I do is say if it's going to be in a scene, vignette, diorama, whatever. If if any modifications need to be done to the kit for it to be in keeping with that. So if the suspension needs to be movable or positioned in a certain way, or if there's any modifications need to be done to make that model accurate uh, for where it's being depicted. The only planning I'll do and kind of really stick to is ones I have to do so. For example, if you get all the Edward aftermarket or 3D printed resin stuff for for aircraft or, or tanks or whatever, if the, the actual plastic needs modifying, like the engine or if you're adding the gun bays. Um, and I know on the, the 109s earlier on, you had to cut a few panels out so you could fit the actual engine and gun bays. I'd plan for stuff like that at the beginning so I could mark out on the plastic what needs cutting. I'd make all those modifications early 
and get that out of the way before the actual build starts. So I plan the modifications first, make those modifications, then I can begin the build. So to say I don't plan, that's kind of a lie because in essence, I am planning. I'm planning the modifications first, then the build. But yeah, kind of once once it's all, once, once the model's started or whatever, there is no planning. I don't really plan what type of paint I'm going to use, what products I'm going to use to weather it. I kind of just look up at the shelf at the time and think, I'll go with that today because I think as a hobby, I want to kind of enjoy. I don't want to overthink it. I want to keep it as simple as possible. So if I, I, I don't want to try and plan stuff when I'm trying to plan other stuff in life. So I try and keep this as simple as possible nowadays and just enjoy it for what it is. And yeah, just, just really just go with the flow and see where it takes me. Right on. Yeah. Does anyone have, anyone have anything else they would like to add? I, I want to bring up something Jensen said too, is that you brought up a great point, Jensen, is that if you, you plan, I think if you plan it, you start to overthink it. And then when you overthink it, it doesn't get done. It goes into a box and it goes right back on the shelf for me. So I think that's a great point. When you look at it that way, that's, it's, I think it's more important not to plan it because then you don't have that, you know, that set standard that you're looking for. So it's, that's a great point. What Grant just said just made me remember something really funny that happened to me. I, okay, it's a little bit of a C story, even though I'm not really, but it's a work story. I work with this guy named Evan, really good friend of mine. He has a tendency to overthink things. And he's now a mechanic. He started working with me when he's an apprentice. And and part of working with me, I, I was trying to teach like, you know, hey, you don't have to overthink it. You know, sometimes just don't think about it. Just let, just trust your instinct and just do what you need to do. He was piping something. I, I don't know. And and it, shortly after I I gave him that that talk, he piped something out, and it was it was effed up. And I walked up to him because he was working for me. I'm like, Evan, what the hell did you just do? And he's like, Well, TJ, in my defense, you told me not to think about it. I was like, Ah, <laughs> I can't even be mad at you right now. I'm like, You're right. I did tell you. I told you not to think. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sometimes you have to think a little bit. <laughs> So you just need to strike that balance between overthinking and doing no thinking at all. And then, then you'll, you'll be in the right spot. And I just was like, okay. And I just laughed and I was like, just fix it. Just please fix it so we can finish this. And, and I just laughed and, and walked away. <laughs> That's hilarious when you're. When your words come home to roost. But, you know, I was just going to say, you know, I think for me, one thing I didn't talk about before is I have I have done builds where I did a lot of planning. You know, I do when I did my slave one, we talked about this earlier. I printed out all the photos I could get of the studio models and put them up on my wall. And I spent a lot of time planning, you know, because there's different areas of that ship where there's different kinds of chipping. And, you know, I, I, I knew if I was going to get the look I was after, I had to plan how to do each individual section. And so I think if you're doing a build where you're doing like a tank or a certain, you know, just a certain MiG-21 that you absolutely think is just really great and you have all these photos of it and you're really doing that kind of a build, I think planning is almost an essential part of a project like that. But I think for me, most of the time, I'm, I, you guys know me, when I build a Y-Wing, I generally build a non-canon, you know, nobody needs to see another goal leader Y-Wing, right? So I'm doing a non-canon one. So I don't usually do that kind of planning on very many of my builds, but I have done it before. Anyway, Jensen, the gentleman yields the floor. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. People who do plan massive admiration, especially if they stick to the plan. It's like that's organization. I wish I could only like, hope for um 
there's a reason I don't plan it. Is once I remember I was talking to uh, Jackson and Zach about a project I wanted to do. It's an ICM, uh, Second World War. I think it's a Leyland truck and it's got the rocket launchers on the back. It's got the crew of like five, but I've also got the mini art. Um, it's, it's Soviet soldiers and they're like, they're in a wooden cabin eating dinner and they're just like chilling out. It's like, whatever uh and I, was, I was thinking of a scene i was like that'd be cool so on the diorama i want a base i want it to be really snowy i want the like the, the house that they're all staying in to be on the corner so you see the outside of the house but the house also has an interior with the crew inside so it's like an internal and external scene and then i started talking about all that and all the planning that goes into it and i was like okay so i know how i'm going to build it all this stuff that's involved and by the time i finished talking about it i'm like i've just overwhelmed myself by planning this and now i don't want to do it because i've just kind of talked myself out of it because of how much work's involved rather than just doing the work it's like oh this is going to be a long-term project and i'm going to need to buy this i'm going to need to buy that and uh, it's just instantly i've just like okay maybe in a few years yeah i do that all the time i I, i'm the same as you i'll you know i i I go into these and i think that's why i've never built an aircraft just because i think okay i've got to do this i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta do this and i talk to guys Mm -hmm. like you know justin and all these guys here and i'm looking at these aircraft and i'm like how do they do it you know i just need to shut up and do it is what i need to do instead of overthinking it and mm-hmm. so, you know, that it's just one of those things. And I'm like you, like you said, it's just, you talk yourself right out of, you know, you've bought all this stuff already. Now you're like, okay, well, it's just going to go over here. And so, and, what else and I'm have? a planner. Mm-hmm. In, in life, I plan everything. Like just oh, TJ, how annoying, how annoying <laughs> I was of planning stuff. Like I, I plan stuff months in advance and I yep. start to piss everyone off with it. But when it comes to modeling, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and grant grant let's be honest the real reason why you haven't built an airplane is because yeah. airplane airplanes are for nerds <laughs> no. oh I, I could see someone's upset <laughs> no yeah i you know, i i i'm not gonna say that but I, <clears throat> yeah yeah i'll say it uh yeah I'm gonna, mm-hmm. pretty pretty nerdy bunch <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> it was a pretty nerdy bunch you know just i, I kind of wonder if you don't you know, you're saying that you plan a lot in life. And so why are you going to take your hobby and why are you going to do the same thing? You know what I mean? It's like, hey, this is a place that I, you, you see people talk about that a lot. This is a place I come to relax. Mm-hmm. I know I was talking to some guys who, you know, there's been a lot of IPMS drama. We're not, obviously, we're not going to rehash any of it or anything like that. But there's a lot of people who say or are saying the same thing. Hey, man, this is where I come to do like my chill. And all I've been hearing is drama. It's like, I just did drama all day. Like, do I don't want more drama now? Like, even in my hobby. So maybe, maybe that's kind of the same thing. You got a lot of planning, you know, in life. So, Hey, whenever it comes to, to your hobby, just, just go with it and see kind of where you go. Exactly that. Well, I think that was, um, I think that was a good, a good, uh, good little discussion, even a nice little sidebar there too. Um, hopefully, you know, I know we were kind of all on the same page, but I, I think, I think we all kind of had a, a unique view on it and, uh, yeah, that was fun. I like that. So, um, moving on, um, I just want to remind everyone of the Operation Overlord Special Interest Group and Group Build over on Facebook that we are hosting with the Model Geeks. Um, it's it's going strong. Uh, people are joining all the time. And remember, it is also a SIG. So it's not just for uh, building builds for, for Madison next year. It is anything related to Operation Overlord. So uh, I saw someone recommend a book, uh, like a, a book about the, the campaign, uh, that, that kind of stuff. We, we love that stuff. And, you know, I like books. I'm a big dork too. I have a book collection. And, uh, yeah, anything, anything related to the campaign, to, to the vehicles and, and the, the men involved in the campaign, that's all welcome there. It's not just models. Of course, models are great and it's, you know, ostensibly for the display at Madison next year. But yes, please feel free, post your, your cool references, post book recommendations, 
you know, any kind of source for, for information that someone might be interested in related to the, the, um, SIG, because I think it's important to stress it is also a SIG and SIGs are not just about, Hey, I build this. It's also about the subject in, in all the information, right? So it should be a, a wellspring of, of information about Operation Overlord and, um, the opening of the second front in Europe. And, uh, yeah, so it's going good. If you're interested in putting some work on display next year, join up, um, comment on the post. I'm behind on, on updating the spreadsheet. I'm, I think, uh, I think Frill is too. You don't, don't worry about it, man. It, um, guys, people, um, if you don't see it immediately, that's, you know, just start building that. That's all it's all about. You don't need anyone's, per, you know, permission to start building something for the, the group build that, the the list and the spreadsheet is just for our own edification and for the will be finalized before we put everything on display in Madison. So we can properly attribute all of the, the amazing bills that I know will be on the table. That's, that's what that spreadsheet is for. It's not permission. Um, I, I, I can't stress that enough. If you don't see your name on the spreadsheet right away, don't let that don't, don't slow down, man, build that model, build that model. Um, we will get you on the list. So you're, it's all are welcome. So yeah. Um, hopefully if, if people are hearing that and they're, you know, I'm busy at work. I know Frill's busy at work. I, I, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on. I got a lot of balls up in the air and, uh, I'll get to it. I'm sure Frill will too at, at some point. So yes, please, if you're in the group build, start building. If you're not join up, find a cool subject and build and a couple of reminders. No, you can build whatever you want related to the operation overlord. Doubles are fine. Triples are fine. Literally build what you want. It's, it's really loose. I, I, I hesitate to even use the word rules. They're more like guidelines to the group build. Um, it is not that highly structured. So yes, please, uh, find us, you know, operation overlord group build on Facebook, join up and, uh, let's build those awesome models and get them on the table in Madison. All right. Let's talk about the facade group build. We're doing a group build with uh, Rick Lawler uh, for, for the facades. It started on September 1st and it's going through the end of October. If you don't know about it, you can check our webpage out. We have several people on there. There's no specific page for this one. It's just like, you know, everybody joining kind of build. You don't even have to have the AK kit. You can make your own facade. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of those homemade facades going up lately and they're looking really great. Doug has already got one on there. Uh, JB's got one. He's going to have another one here soon. Rick Lawler's got two at least. I'm working on one and the other guys here are working on some stuff also. So again, so if you want to look at the, the Facebook page and Rick Lawler's propaganda is, is also helping us out with this. The facade bill started uh, September 1st and it goes through the end of this uh, of October of this year. Please post pictures. And like I said, you don't have to have a specific kit. Just take some, some styrofoam and start cutting and scrout, sculpting and doing what you want and make a facade for it. And it'd be great. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Remember when you post those on the page, use hashtag facade group build. All right. You all know that uh, we enjoy on this page, on the Triple P, we love to highlight and shout out uh, individual builds that have been shared on our Facebook page. Um, and so we're going to do that right now. I'm going to start out. I actually picked two. Um, Tim Hepplestone did a, I'm not sure how to pronounce her, Boudica bust from FER Miniatures. She's uh, Boudica. 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 
That sounds much better than Boudica. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, she's got long red hair and and uh, she's got this just just the, the skin tones and her hair. And what he did especially stands out because his his uh, comment on it was he was trying his hand at the black magic that is bust painting. He's not done this before. And so his what he was able to accomplish with this this bust is really good. I mean, really good. I'd be very happy to be able to do that my own self so way to go tim i'd also like to uh quick shout out for Stuart mcclellan's gamera uh by x plus i've never said this on the show before but gamera is the best of all of the monsters i love that one that was my favorite as a kid and he's my favorite today so anyhow that's what i see grant mine is um from a gentleman doesn't have his real name his name he goes by the norwegian um so it could be the entire country uh or I don't know, but but he did a he's doing a bust of Saladin, uh, Saladin, pronounce that right. So he's only got the facial tones down and the, the the skin tones down, but the the work he's done on those those tones has been beautiful. Um, it's it, it, on a bust of you know the figure, and I don't know who makes the figure, but it's really really good. So if you just uh, look for the Norwegian on the page, and you'll see the the, the flesh tones and stuff like that. It's really good, and it's a very good learning point. His eyes are fantastic on it, and the, the, the tones and colors are just really good. And let's go to Jensen. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to head back to some armor. Uh, Pete Coclo, uh, the M18 Hellcat. The olive drab he's done on that is is pretty special. It's really nice. Um, I know I, I saw this earlier early on in the week or later last week, and um, just instantly my, my eyes were drawn to it. it that, that's really the type of olive drab I like. It's it's lighter. It's it's going more towards a lighter yellowy color, which is I just absolutely love. Um, yeah, it's just beautiful. Really, really good. Really good olive drab on that, and the M18 is just a beautiful vehicle as well. But yeah, I just really liked that one. Pete did a great job. I agree with you, Jensen. It looks really, really good. For my selection, I picked, um, it's actually somebody um, in, in the interview later with Andy Golden that you'll hear. Um, he talks about Doug Cohen. I'm not familiar with him. I'm sure TJ and Grant are, but um, uh, posted some Civil War figures of Doug's on our um, group page. And um, just the painting and the faces and everything, just really, I really, I, I don't know, I really feel like uh, as much as all my mechanical models that I do, people that paint figures and can paint faces and bring bring a scene to life, that's just a special talent. I, I don't have it, but uh, I, I think it's tremendous. So if you haven't looked at it, check out Doug Cohen's Civil War figures. Really, really nice. Beautiful. Yeah, he, he does some really fantastic work. Um, the actual, it's uh, the Cashtown Road is the name of the diorama. It's uh, uh, one of the pictures from the start of the Gettysburg Battle that he did. One thing about David Cohen, and I hate to interrupt him, sorry, Scott, but uh, David does all his own figures. He's, he sculpts everything, um, except for the faces, usually, and the feet and the hands. But everything else he does, and he's really fast. He's been doing this for a couple of weeks now, and he's already got six plus figures plus you know a fig uh, the main figure which is going to be on a horse and another we'll get another gentleman with him on so it's going to be really interesting doug cohen was uh had some really good work in nationals he did one of the iwo jima the raising of the iwo flag at iwo jima um that was scratch built by him and there's a couple other ones and he's part of the north texas figure club you search north texas uh figures uh on facebook you'll see their facebook page and i definitely recommend you guys like it's great great bunch of stuff what scale is that uh he's usually about 54 millimeter he does 70 millimeter but that's pretty much 54 millimeters most of his stuff that's it's beautiful yeah he's he's a fantastic builder um i had the the pleasure of uh judging with uh doug cohen at um the atlanta figure show earlier this year hilarious guy one of the funniest guys in scale modeling 
Dude's an absolute riot. Really good figure painter and uh, just just a, a good guy. The whole time judging, we just he he kept the whole team in stitches. Like literally one of the funniest people I'd ever met. And uh, his son was was with him and he tagged along. His son is not a modeler. He's not a painter. But um, I asked him, is uh, is your dad always like this? And he's like, yeah, y- yes, he is. <laughs> I was like, man, that sounds sounds really fun actually and uh yeah great guy he had a good time um i had a good time with him taught me a lot about judging so it was good um uh, for mine i chose adam jackson's uh tamia m51 m51 sweet super shermans are rad i mean you know who doesn't like a sherman who doesn't like a an upgun sherman um he did a good job he's done a string of armor models and that's that's one of the ones he's posted recently and it was my favorite of the ones that he put up. Uh, I think he said it's his second favorite tank too, after the Merkava, which uh not really a Merkava fan, but I am a Sherman fan and an M51 fan. So yes, tip of the hat, man. Good stuff. Yeah, Adam got to go to Latroon er- earlier this year and uh, posted some pictures to the posse of his visit. And uh, he's done some really, really nice work uh, subsequent to that. So. Justin, did you see anything on uh, on our page that you uh, that stood out to you? Yeah, man, I, I did. It, I think it's kind of cool too because it kind of wraps back to the whole planning planning thing. Uh, but John Bryan is who is the ultimate planner as far as like his collection and whatnot. Um, if you guys haven't ever seen any of his stuff, I know I know you the jaw have, but he's working on um, the old tool Edward one ninety eight. Was it, was it an A5? I can't remember which one it was. He's building it as like a, a you know, after the war um, deal. But man, he's got some pictures of some stuff he just did real quick. And I just, he, he always builds his stuff, you know, with the canopy closed. And so I think he's really done a great job. Like as far as if you're, if you look at some of his, his cockpit photos, it's going to be nice and bright and it's going to still pop underneath the glass. And just, he's, he's just such a good modeler. And um, every time I see his stuff, I'm like, man, I want to be like him when I grow up. I think, I think we're like a, I think he was born like a day before I was or something like that. Like we're nearly the same age. He's obviously, I think he's like a, he's got like a PhD in geology. I can't remember exactly what it is, but the guy is a freaking smart, he is a smart dude. And it is, it is so cool to just kind of watch how he goes through his builds and oh man, dude's awesome. Yeah, when we had him on the show, we, we talked with him. He's pretty amazing. He's very tenacious. You know, he, he never lets a kit beat him and he never works on more than one at a time. You know, just quite a, quite a modeler. I want to be like him. See, I'm telling you, man, I want to be like that guy. All right. And are, if, are you a member of the Triple P guys? If, if not, I, we highly recommend it. The Triple P on Facebook, the Plastic Posse Facebook page is where we're getting all of this work submitted. We're seeing lots of work from some fantastic modelers from all over the world, and it's a lot of fun. So join up and share what you're doing. Give feedback. It, there's just a lot to, to share, and it's it's definitely worth your time. We've got some upcoming model shows and uh, events. Scott, do you want to share those? Yeah, you bet. We've got uh, quite a few, so we'll go, go through these uh, co- kind of quick. We have the Central Arkansas Scale Modeler second, uh, 22nd Annual Show, September 29th and 30th. Uh, that's at the Jacksonville Community Center, which is a few miles northeast of Little Rock. Shout out to our buddy uh, Ken Childress, who's in that group. And again, it's going to have seminars by Jim Rice, Rusty Nell, and Ken. So if you're in the area, you're going to want to make sure and check that out. Uh, we also have uh, Saturday, September 30th, the Palouse, I hope I'm saying that wrong, or 
saying that right, Palouse Area Modelers uh, presenting their 27th annual scale model show up in Moscow, Idaho. It's at the 1912 Center, and uh, you can find out more details online about that. We have the NCMSS 62nd Annual Show at the Springfield Hilton in Springfield, Virginia from 9 to 5, and uh, TJ is going to be there, I believe, at the Novamps table in the vendor room, so make sure you stop by and uh, say hi, get a picture, maybe uh, autographs. I think he he usually gives those out for pretty good prices. So anyway, uh, that, that'll that be fun. IPMS Orange Con is in Buena Park, California on October 1st. Uh, Mr. Mayberry, I believe, will be in attendance at that show. Uh, he uh, does charge $5 for his autographs, but he's pretty nice. As long as he's in pesos, we're good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we have PatCon. Uh, P-A-T-C-O-N on Sunday, October 1st as well, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Hudson, Massachusetts at the Hudson Elks Lodge and PaxCon, uh, source of our last uh, episode, GeekFest. Uh, it's at the Hollywood Volunteer Fire Department in Hollywood, Maryland. That's October 7th. Um, if you're in the area, please go. Um, if you heard our last episode, you know those guys have poured their heart and soul and sweat and everything else into that show. It's going to be really, really Really good. I believe TJ will be at that one as well. I will. This year's IPMS Vancouver show is going to be at the Bonsoir Recreation Complex in Burnaby, British Columbia. That's on October 7th as well. And also on October 7th, we have the Reno IPMS High Roller Show from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. You can check out more details over at RenoHighRollers.com. The Charleston SCMA show is on October 14th. That's in Charleston, South Carolina. It's going to be at the Cokesbury United Methodist Church Family Center. We have IPMS Doonlands 2023 model contest also on October 14th. That's at the Hobart Moose Lodge in Hobart, Indiana. If you need more information, you can contact John Fluck at jfluck at aol.com. Wow, aol.com. I haven't seen one of those in a bit. We have Capcon. It's at the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa, also on the 14th. Uh, you can see all the details at ipmsottawa.com. Scale Model Challenge in Eindhoven, uh, October 14th and 15th. Our very own uh, Jensen and TJ and JB will be in attendance there. It's going to be amazing. Looking forward to seeing uh, some photos and video from that. Uh, we have the MMSI show, which I'm very, very excited about, uh, Grant and myself and Aaron Cook will all be uh, going to that. Um, that's at the Chicago Marriott in Schaumburg, Illinois uh, from October uh, uh, 20th and 21st. Uh, you'll hear more about that in our interview with Andy Golden uh, showing up in the show pretty soon. Uh, Saturday, October 21st, we also have the Oregon Mid-Valley Madness Show. It's at the Lynn County Expo Center in Albany, Oregon. November 4th, we have the All Things Recce Show, aka Region 12 Model Contest. That's in Dallas, North Carolina. Uh, you can get more details on that at ipmscharlotte.org. Uh, Sunday, November 5th, we have the Cleveland Model Show. That's in Kirtland, Ohio. You can see Cleveland Model Show on Facebook for more details on that one. The Bay Colony Modelers Club is going to present their Baycon 2023, not Bacon, Baycon 2023, uh, Sunday, uh, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Franklin, Massachusetts. And last but certainly not not least, we have the one, the only Scale Model World over in the UK at Telford. That's in, that's uh, November 11th and 12th. 
that's in uh, Shropshire, right? That's where that is. Yeah, Shropshire. Yes, yes. We'll be having. Uh, I think there's a restaurant there that serves eggplant, if I'm not mistaken. Shropshire. <laughs> Just that's what that's what I said. Shropshire. Shropshire. You say it. Say it. Shropshire. That's what I said. Shropshire. No, you did. You didn't. I 100 percent did. <laughs> say again. Shropshire. Shropshire. That's we're saying the same word. <laughs> we're not saying the same thing. We 100 percent are. Just, just not. Just we're not. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that now that TJ has Jensen spun all the way up. No, Shropshire. Shropshire. Sure. Just sure. Shropshire. Every shire is just sure. Learn how to speak English. I'm, I'm not going to bring up the Kansas-Arkansas thing again. I, I'm not. I've watched The Lord of the Rings, and it was pronounced the Shire, not the Sh. But if you speak properly, like a, a human would, not a robot. So you're telling me that, that Tolkien himself called it we're the We're off shir. to the Shuz. Yeah, we're off to the no, Shuz. Don't believe it. Don't care. I'm from here. We haven't done this in a bit. <laughs> But just a reminder that the Plastic Posse is just one of several scale model podcasts. You can head over to modelpodcast.com and you can find links to all of them there, as well as several model-related blogs and vlogs, such as Scale Canadian TV with our friend Jim Bates. Okay, looks like it's time for our main feature, our interview with master modeler Andy Golden. He uh, talks about his own work, MMSI, and open system judging. And that was a few of our guys. Who was that, Scott? You and who else were, were, was with you? Grant and JB as well. Wonderful. All right. Have a listen and enjoy. Well, we are here today with Andy Golden, who is a, uh, in every way that you can describe it, a, a master modeler. I, I got to meet Andy for the first time uh, last year at MMSI. Um, looking forward to, um, you know, reacqu- getting reacquainted with him at this year's MMSI. And uh, I, I was walking around looking at all the entries and I saw this 116th scale diorama called the uh, Lions of Casino. And I thought, oh man, this uh, this guy knows what he's doing. This is amazing. And uh, got to meet Andy and shake his hand, and he was very, very gracious uh, and spent a lot of time with me. So anyway, Andy, it's been almost a year, but thanks for uh, coming on to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Was uh, looking forward to this when we talked uh, last year. Should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. I also have Grant and uh, JB with me as well. How you doing, guys? I'm good. How you doing? I'm excited to be here. You know, Andy. I, I have a book in front of me. I've, I've seen your work for yep. many years. I'd also like to call out, you probably don't remember this, but you actually signed it at one oh, wow. point. Yeah, was so. that, the, uh, <laughs> uh, that was the year it came out. I think we did... Um, it was World Expo. Was it World Expo? Okay, okay. Yeah, because yeah. it came out that year. Then I think we did a book signing for that at the Chicago show the following year. I, I think everybody was there except for Roy, Roy Wells. Um, yeah. So you may have everybody because I think Roy was at that show. You may have all six of us. Yeah, I think I have everybody. Or seven of us. Yeah, I can't. I can't figure out the scribbles, but there are there are, <laughs> there are seven scribbles here. I make out yours in the bottom left because you have a distinct A and G. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, everything else is kind of just uh, scribbled. But and, and John Rosengrantz is decent. But yeah, no, decent, I yeah, yeah. awesome. I'm excited. Uh, I've known your work for a very long time, even going way past, you know, way before that to early days of amps and Nats when they're in the Midwest. So excited to jump into yeah, it. Cool. 
Awesome. Well, just to get started, uh, Andy, uh, for those of, of our listeners out there that aren't familiar with you and your work, tell us a little bit about who Andy is and kind of how you got uh, started. Um, well, I'm a, I don't know, just like everybody else. I think I'm just a modeler. You know, I do it for fun. You know, it, it's just, it's, it's my way to relax, my way to, you know, unwind after a day of work or whatever. You know, and it's, it's my, it's, I, I definitely have a love of history and this kind of, you know, obviously is a very, you know, it's tied to it in so many different ways, you know, from World War II to any type of historical, you know, time frame. You can visualize or bring that history to life while you're, while you're doing this. So it's, it's always kind of gone hand to hand with me. Like most of us, I started a modeling probably in, you know, my early teens, First things I really took seriously, I took uh, the Tamiya Formula One 120 scale of cars. That was my first, you know, my first like real models. Uh, my brother was big into them. So I'd buy them for him for Christmas and then I'd buy one for myself. Or I'd, you know, at that time, you'd talk your mom or dad into buying it for you because you couldn't afford the $7 F1 car in 1982. But um, so I kind of got into that. And then when I, you know, the hobby shop would only carry, you know, three of them. So I built the three as many times as I could and all, you know, horribly put together. Then I kind of branched out into military stuff. It was, um, you know, go to Kmart and you could get your, you know, get your B-17s and get your SBDs and your, you know, all the old, the old monogram kits and stuff. And you could get their tanks and stuff like that. So that kind of got me going. And then um, probably... I don't know, maybe 15, 16 years old, I discovered Verwinden. Hobby Shop, he would go to, you know, somewhat had one of his, like his showcases. And I was like, wow, you can really do that with, with a, a model. And I was just like, it felt like something that I, I could never get to or, or never achieve. And then I really never stopped modeling. I just kept going. I just kept, you know, it wasn't something I did all the time, but I'd always have a project going. I always have a project, you know, in a, you know, Rubbermaid container in my, in my closet. And if I had some free time or it was, I was on, you know, winter break or something, I'd take it out and work on it. Um, and then I just started getting into it a little more and more. It was always everyone and stuff. I was even by myself. I didn't know anybody. Um, you know, it was just kind of my way of, you know, just taking up my free time and my hobby. And then it's just like, and then now it seems like it's been just a blur since then. Um, I went to my first show, I believe I was telling Scott before. My first show was the Chicago show, probably in 2001, maybe 2002. And then that just, as excited as I was about the hobby myself, seeing what other people were doing, just kickstarted my entire drive into, you know, into, I guess, whatever I am now, <laughs> you know, you know, it started by that, you know, seeing Bill Haran stuff and seeing Mike Blank's work, you know, those guys were younger than too, but they were still, they were just, you know, awe-inspiring. Douglas Lee um, used to come down from Canada and, and he'd bring his dioramas um, and it was just, it was just, wow, can I ever do that? Would I ever be able to do that? And I still don't think I can do that, but um, other people tell me I can, but <laughs> I'm probably my <laughs> harshest critic, so... Yeah, I think uh, the the collectors that buy your pieces might uh, argue with that a little bit. Well, yeah, probably, probably. We were we were talking before. Tell everybody um, about your first time entering a model at that first MMSI uh, show. Yeah, so I, I went. To, it was in Oak Brook, so not 
exactly the same venue it's in now. So I was going to a hobby shop, a local hobby shop, and they're like, oh man, you're, you know, your stuff is pretty good. You might want to go to the show. You know, there's a show up at Oak Brook in the fall. Just go up there, enter your piece and, you know, see, just, just go see other people's work too. And I, I was like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, so I talked myself into going. I went by myself. I didn't know anybody. Um, I entered in a competition on Saturday morning and, you know, I looked around the tables and stuff and everything. And I probably don't even know what I was looking at at the time. I couldn't tell you if something was scratch built or you know a bill from a kit. Um, I was just in awe by everything that was there. So, you know, at that time, you know, staying at a show for three hours was, you know, was a lot of time. So I stayed for my three hours and I found somebody who I thought was worked for the show. And I said, Hey, I, I got to go. Can I take my piece and stuff? And I'm like, oh, you don't, don't want to wait for your award ceremony. And I was like, I'm not going to win anything. So no, let me take my stuff. And I'm like, okay, you can go if you want to. So I pack up my one tank and I go home and uh, not thinking anything of it, not knowing the process or anything. Um, somebody contacted me a couple of days later and said, hey, you know, you you want it a medal. Would you like us to ship it to you? And I was like, oh, great. Awesome. Yeah, sure. Here's my address. And they shipped it to me. Uh, lo and behold, I want a gold medal. Um, I had no idea what I had won until I opened up the, you know, uh, opened up the case and I saw the gold medal there. It was a gold medal and ordinance for, uh, for a Tiger II that I did with a full interior. And then that was my first of, uh, my first, my first gold there. And then that kind of got me hooked. You know, you need that, you need that to go back, I guess, or I did back then, you know, so then I went back the next year and then it was another gold. And then, um, you know, I thought, well, let me try some figures. So I tried some figures and, you know, getting judged by the best in the world there. I think I got a bronze with my first, you know, figure. I think it was a Greek hoplite I built probably in about 2003 or four. And I got a bronze for that. And then that started that started the figures that started the whole, you know, getting into that and was, okay, I got to get better at this now. I want to be like the other guys that are here, you know, in this, in this, in these categories, in these, you know, um, in these different, um, different genres, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah. We were talking before and you, you know, you had kind of mentioned that you're really kind of drawn to the, to not just the Chicago show, but MFCA, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. those shows kind of have a little bit different vibe than, you know, the IPMS or AMP shows. You yeah. know, what, yeah. what is yeah. it, what is it that keeps uh, bringing you back to the, these open format, open judging system? Shows? Um, I guess nowadays what I get from the show doesn't matter. It's going there to see the people and see the other work there. That's, that's what I get from it. You know, I, I usually travel with Greg Sewar. You know, we become good friends over shows. Um, so it's good to go and hang out with him for, even though we're, you know, you know, 20 miles between us, I don't get to see him that often. So, you know, to go and hang out with him for a weekend is always fun. Uh, and to see everybody else, just to see what other people are bring, to see, you know, what, what other people are doing. You know, like a lot of those guys, you know, the Bill Harans, the Mike Blanks, Stephen Malia, Doug Cohen, you know, guys like that. They don't show their stuff on Facebook. You don't get to see it that often. You'll see it after the show because everybody takes pictures of it. Oh my God, look at this. Look what Mike Blank did. Um, So that's still, you still got to go there to see it. And then you still got to see it in person to get, you know, to get the inspiration that I need, you know, I got to see it in person. So that, that's what keeps bringing me back. And then, you know, then you can talk to them and you can hang out with them. And, you know, I would call Mike Blank one of my, well, one of my good friends, um, you know, and it's all because I decided to go to MSI 20 years ago. You know, so that's what, that's what brings me back is the inspiration I get for myself, having other people look at what I did and hopefully, you know, tell me where I can, 
where I can get better at. Don't just tell me, oh, that's awesome. You, you did a great job. Um, I don't need that. I don't need likes and thumbs up from Facebook, you know, and I don't need it at a show either. But if Mike tells me that, you know, man, your groundwork works awesome. The way you merged your figures with the groundwork, you know, is just, you know, is perfect. That's all I need. I'm good. You know, my show was fun, but that's all I needed to hear. And uh, so that's what keeps me going back um, is the interaction. Yeah, man, I, I, I definitely hear that. And, um, you know, getting I had the sort of the same experience with you that, you know, you have with uh, these other people, you know, getting to stand there um, next to your 116 scale diorama and hear you know, um, how you came up with the story and how you composed it mm -hmm. and how you sculpted the figures and, and everything. It's just really, really inspirational. Like you said, viewing, viewing work in person is never the same as it is on Facebook. I mean, they're just, no, they're, no, it's way better. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So, um, you seem to do a lot with figures as well. What, what started you down the road of, of, uh, I mean, obviously not just painting figures, but sculpting figures. Um, well, I don't sculpt. I've only sculpted two completely from scratch figures. I just do big modifications, but that comes from, it comes from going to these uh, different shows. You know, you can't take, you know, two figures out of a, you know, some manufacturer's box and make a diorama. You, you know, they're, they're not, if you're a lucky, they're meant to interact with themselves. They're not meant to interact with anything else. How do you do that? How do you get that, you know, get them to interact? Well, you have to do a lot of, to me, you have to do a lot of work to them. Um, you have to do stuff like that to get them to tell the story that you're trying, trying to portray. So, you know, it was kind of like, I thought you had to do it. You know, there, there wasn't any other way to get there, you know, and that was just all from seeing what I saw at, at these shows, at these shows that lean more on the, you know, the storytelling or the vignettes of, you know, you got to get to that point and how can you get to that point? You know, you can't take the two figures out of the box. It just doesn't get you there, you know, and they don't, they don't have to be sculpted from scratch. Um, you know, you can just do major conversions or, you know, stuff like that to help tell your story. But, you know, it's, it, it, it is, I think I got there when I think I like, I went over to that when I, I think the 2010, 12, I don't even remember now. Um, IPMS Nationals at, uh, they were in Omaha. Um, I won the best to show there and that like just turned out, it, it turned off my, okay, I don't have to build just to, just a tank on a piece of wood. Now I want to do something else for whatever reason that like, you know, just kind of triggered. Okay. I guess I'm, guess I like topped out at that, you know, I topped out at just building the tank on a base. So let's try something different. And I'm so glad I did. Um, you know, this, this is what I like the best. It's just something that I, that I worked out, figured it out. And, you know, here I am in the storytelling. It's not good that I have probably 300 tanks to build in my stash here, but, um, <laughs> because I don't go through them very quickly anymore. Andy, what did you build, uh, for the 2010 Nats? Cause I was there, I'm trying to recall, was it the Panzer IV? Or what did you bring? No, it was the sort of 2010 Nats was I did the, um, I did the Panther, I did the Flak Panther with a four okay. barrel flat gun on the. On yeah, the I think yeah, it's the yeah. first time I met you. I think yep. Chris Morasco introduced me to you. He's like, "Hey, I want you to meet this young kid here. He, he, <laughs> he, he liked your. I think, I think, I think Chris said that he, you know that you like something that I did. And I was like, "Oh, thanks. You know, you know and <laughs> that was that was it. I think we were. I think uh, probably it was like just like a crossing in like the hallway yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it was probably the first time I met you. Yeah, I, I, rem so, I remember that Panther. Yeah, the quad, uh, the quad twenty mil on top. Yep, 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 yeah, yeah. So that won the best to show. You know, it was a complete shock to me. I didn't even think it would win any at the show. I'd gone to a couple of nationals before and, um, you know, I got like the, what were like those, they, they did like the, you know, you, you got like the little, um, 
medal after it. Like after the first, second, third, they would they would give you know like whatever. whatever Get a little honorable was. mention. Like hey, yeah, thanks for coming, Andy. Or something. Yeah, like, thanks year. for coming. Yeah, yeah. So I got that like the first couple times I went, and um, and then you know I, I just it was complete shock. I, I wasn't even at the award ceremony. Um, I had oh, stepped in there just to see what's going on, and I walked in as soon as they announced my name for the best of show. So I, but, I remember uh, around that time, I want to say in the spring, did you go to Amps as well with your big L70? I feel like I yeah, saw that, was, there around that Yeah, time. that was probably, that could have been maybe the year after. I don't know. I can't remember when that was. All that's kind of blurring together. That okay. was at Auburn, right? It would have been yeah. one of, would have been maybe the first show at Auburn. Yep. Um, whatever that was, 2000, maybe 10 or so. Yeah, that was the L70. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was my first 16 scale thing I ever did was at L70. Oh, nice. Yeah, I remember it. I actually, I, I actually took a picture of it. I'll drop it in our, uh, <laughs> I'll drop it in our little group chat for our friends here so they can see what else. Did, I'm trying to remember what else you brought to that show. I think you took a Yog Tiger as well, 35th scale, but I could be probably wrong. 35th scale. Yeah, probably 35th scale. Yeah, I did. It's like I said, back then I was doing a ton of, you know, just individual tanks. You know, I was not into the dioramas and stuff. And that was my first diorama was at L70. It was my first like real diorama was at L70 as well. Nice. Um, yeah, that was probably, if I was upstairs, I'd see, I got, I, I only have two awards hanging on my wall. It is the, um, it's my IPMS, a best of show, and then my Chicago award. Everything else is just in a box somewhere. But I, it's, so it would have been the year of the, it was the same year as the IPMS, a best of show. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think the Yog Tiger was 332 with the top off. Yep. Showing yeah, the interior. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I dropped that in the chat as well. Doesn't suck, um, as I like <laughs> to say. <laughs> yeah, that was a great show, and I, I, I mean, I your your work is so uh, it's got a certain style, and you know, maybe I'll even go back a little bit, go back, stay in that time frame. I remember World Expo 2015. Uh, seeing your work there. But I think even before that, I want to say around 2013, well, maybe it was around that time, I went to M and Model Shop, M and Model. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember walking in, I knew Marty and Mary for for a long time. I've, I've known them okay. probably since the early 2000s because they vended at shows in Ohio. You used to go to all the shows and stuff. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So great people, great shop. And I remember walking in there on a Saturday. I was alone. I think I went to Chicago for a job interview and I went into okay. their shop and, I, and they always used to say, hey, stop by on a Saturday. You know, there's always people there. Right. And I'm pretty sure it was like you and Greg and a bunch of others. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in my early 20s. I'm like, I ain't talking to these people. They don't want to talk to me. <laughs> so I, I remember just like floating around the periphery, like in awe, like, oh man, okay. I know all these people. Yeah, that's that's cool. uh, that's old John that had a little bit of fear of talking to new people. Now <laughs> I would have came up and, you know, given you a hug and, right. you know, broke your hand, shaking it from uh, being awestruck. Yeah. Anyway, you know, when we talk about that, it's, it's interesting. I associate you and Greg, you're almost the same person in a sense. Cause I feel like you <laughs> always go to the shows together and we it's do. like, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, hell they're here. So every award right. in armor and diorama <laughs> is claimed for. So uh, I guess I should uh. pick up ships or sci-fi. But you know, maybe nah, that's not true. <laughs> maybe talk a little bit about your style, Andy. I think you know when I look at your work, it, it's pretty iconic. Um, you know, you mentioned the history with Shep and 
probably Verlin, uh, Verlinden's influence. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about when I look at your figures, I'm like, that's, that's an Andy figure. And I, and I just want to cue on that as well, because I really like your figures and I'd love to know, you know, at a high level, are you working with acrylics, oils, dare I say, humbrol enamor- enamels? Like we'd just love to know more about your style in that regard. Um, I think it's so the, to me, and, 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 you know, like I said, I've definitely changed to what I do, you know, before, Super detailed tank was the ultimate thing for me, right? Now it's it's to set a atmosphere or to set a scene or to set a feeling in my piece. So to me, the best way to do that is the figure. The figure can tell the story itself. You know, you can do so much with the face, with the, um, you know, with the body language, with the way you paint it. Um, we can talk about that in a second. You know, the way they interact with others, that's the way you tell the story. That's the way you set the scene. Everything doesn't have to tell a story, but I think everything has to have a feeling. You know, it has to have a, you know, like a, you know, I I don't know if you want to call it a sense of like desperation or, you know, something. So how do you get to there? How do you do that? It's just to me, you know, things have to be darker. They can't be, it's, you know, bright green grass. You know, if you ever see one of my pieces, you'll never see bright green green grass anywhere. To me, that doesn't tell a story. It doesn't set a mood for the piece. So all that works together, you know, so, you know, the way the figure is painted, the figure has to blend with the groundwork. The groundwork has to help set the scene for the figure, you know, um, you know, so it's, it's, that's the way that I, that's my goal with every figure is to, you know, if the vignette has a five figures on it, you know, each one of them has a purpose. Um, you know, one guy is probably the center of the scene. Um, at least I try to make one guy maybe the center for the scene. And then everybody else supports that. And everybody, everything else has to tell his part. They, they have to tell their small part of his main story. Um, so that's what I try to do. I don't know if I'm 100% you know, success with everything like that. And then the style has kind of come from kind of the darker style. You know, it's probably more the Mike Blank, you know, Greg's been a big influence, even though he's my friend, he probably hate me for saying this, but, um, you know, he's been a big influence. You know, I saw his stuff in the Verlinic magazines, right? You know, that set a, that set the scene, that told a story, even though if it was just like a snapshot in time, you, you got a feeling from it. And I think that's that's what Verwinden did too. I mean, he was trying to sell his products. So, you know, you'd get his two figures with his oil drums next to a tank, but it still had a feeling to it. They still all worked together. You know, the same paint that he painted the groundwork with, that same color, that same tone is carried through the figure. You know, so that's the way I, that's what I try to do on everything, you know, set the tone, you know, set the feeling of the piece. And then I guess, you know, I, I must have, uh, you know, a dark place somewhere because I do like everything dark and dreary. Um, just the way I like them. So, um, you know, that's how I get there. That's what I try. That's how I try to get there when I, when I start a project. You know, how do I paint them? I still use oils for flesh. What I do use, it's all like acrylics. Um, I've really moved over to the AK third gen uh, paint now. They're just, I've tried to replace like all my Andrea or my Vallejos. You know, so I've been using that. Um, I still use a lot of my airbrush for like uh, base coats and stuff, even on 35th scale. You know, I'll try to get like that base coat done, which is a nice because I used to have to use like Tamiya paint to, to spray. And then I try to match the colors with something from Vallejo or Andrea. Now you can spray the, you know, the third gen ones um, so that I can use the same colors that I spray. I can now, you know, use as I paint. And um, I, I try not to do super high highlights where it looks like there's a, you know, you know like a flashlight, you know, shining on them. I still think I do it, um, but I try not to. I try to tone everything down to, you know, make it more, more dark. But the whole thing can't be dark, right? You can't make the whole piece 
dark and muddy. So you want you want the darkness to start at the bottom and then you want it to kind of grow through the piece till it gets to the highest, you know, highlight. So like the, you know, the tallest guy's helmet or the guy that's standing the tallest in your piece, his helmet should be the brightest, you know, you know, should be the be the brightest part. Um that's what I try to do. I said I don't know if I accomplished it on everything, um, but that's my goal. Hey, uh, Andy, uh, I, I really love your work. Um, it's I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of your The Surrounded from 2019 or 18, I believe. Surrounded. Yeah, that's okay. the, the SEAL Team 6. Uh, Got you. Okay, yes, okay. That's okay. three different figures facing three different mm-hmm. ways. And that, yeah. that I love that. That's really, I love the action in that. I've looked at that for a long time. And one of the one of the figures, that, that's kind of got me into doing figures myself, that diorama. Okay, because cool. That is, it, it's a very dynamic and, and the way you brought the, like you said, the darkness to the light. Um, my question is, sorry, uh, did mean to go off there a little bit. You talk about your process process of your building is the process ongoing as you're building your models or sculpting your new not sculpting but modifying heavily modifying your figures at the base or do you go in with the idea that i know i need exactly this and this is what i'm looking for is it is it you know is it like a living the diorama like a living thing that you change throughout the whole process yeah it changes quite a bit my i I have my idea here's what here's my my vision then i start with it like what's and it's just my way of processing through it. I said, so how's my easiest way to get there? Can I use this stock figure? Can I use that stock figure? Well, this guy only need to change the arm. Well, this guy, I only need to change out a head. And now I have a diorama. That's the way I start. Never ends there. It, it, it changes all the way through it. You know, it'll change after it's done it'll, or, you know, when it's close to being being done. Okay, this figure's out of place. He didn't do it. I cut corners because I used the guy from the box. I, I right. needed to, this guy needs to be converted. He's too tall. His mm-hmm. coat hangs further down than the other guy. Once you get them all together, to me, you see stuff that you don't see while you're working on it. So you have to change it. Um, so yeah, it's it, it goes, they, they go through quite a few different iterations. It always gets to my final, it does get to my vision though. So yeah. wh- however I get there, I still get there. You know, it should, it takes more time sometimes. It takes more time than I think it will. You know, I, I do put time frames on things in my own head, which I shouldn't do. Um, it'll be like, okay, I need to have this done by September 1st because I want to move on to something else, you know, but my path to get there doesn't take me to, you know, to September 1st. It takes me way past that usually. But it does, it's constantly ongoing. I mean, you should see when I'm working on like a diorama, you know, I'll have... You know, a three figure like like a vignette, I will have pieces of 35 figures on my desk as I'm trying to put them together, you know, and what works the best. How can I get it? You know, how can I get it with using the pieces that I have? And then I figure out that I don't have the pieces. Okay, then I got to sculpt this arm. Or maybe I can take this guy's legs, but if I cut his legs, I can bend him down or do something with him. So, you know, then it continues on from there. So I start with trying what's the easiest path. I never take that path all the way through, you know, most times. Um, that, but, but you say that, that, that a surrounded um, thing, those are all stock figures. Yeah. Not one of them's converted. Not one yeah. of them has changed in any way, wow. shape or form. They're, yeah. they're just all stock figures. That is, that's one of the reasons, I mean, that's the, one of the reasons I like it too. And and I don't mean to be, you know, saying that your, your, your scratch building, your modified figures are fantastic, but I saw those figures before and I was like, I never thought of how you use them. And the right. tones, the right. tones, yeah. you know, you, you took that, you, you took that idea of those figures and you found the way that they worked the best in that little tiny little square, you know, five, mm-hmm. five, five little piece. And that's, and that's what got me into the, is start to do figures myself is that, that nice. what you can do with those stock figures is, is phenomenal. 
And then I started seeing your other, your, the 120th scale submarine tower. Phenomenal. Oh, okay. Phenomenal. I love that. That is just, you know, it's one of those things, but you know, it's just, I, I'm a fan of your work and I was a fan of your work before I knew you. Let's just put it that way. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, that process you expose, you, you talk to, and that, that process you talk about building in, in the, the idea and going from that idea to the next part and to the next part. Does that also include the base or is, or is that just basically the figures you're, you're it's, it's basically, it, it's everything. So, so okay. I, I never like set the base. Mm -hmm. The base will be, you know, what's on the base I can set, you know, is it going right. to be a cart? Is it going to be a building? You know, what's mm -hmm. going to be the backdrop to, uh, to me, everything needs a backdrop. Mm -hmm. Something needs to be like, like everything to me needs like three levels. Now they don't have to be gigantic levels between them, but everything does need levels between them. So how do you, how do you frame the piece? What's the backdrop? So that starts first. So, so I start mm -hmm. out like, you know, I take like a eight by eight, you know, piece of like blue styrofoam and I start there. And then my goal as I'm doing it is to get that eight by eight piece as small as I possibly can. I don't care. Do I have a three and a half by three and a half inch, you know, wood base? I'll go, I'll make one if I need one, or I'll have somebody make one for me. Nothing kills a diorama or, or, or a vignette more than dead space. Yes. Because then either you can live with the dead, dead space, but you want to put something there and then you kill the story. You know, then you get into the Verwinden, you know, 55 gallon drum. What does it have to do with the story? <laughs> Nothing, but I have a corner that doesn't have anything. Right. So I have to put that there. You know, I, I will make the scene and then I'll fit the base to it. You know, so that's the way I, I like buy bases. You know, if I do buy bases, I buy them half inch increments. So then hopefully somewhere along the line, I got the right size, you know, <laughs> um, or I'll just go out to the garage and I try to make my own. Um, I'm probably a half ash woodworker. You know, I got a small router table and a, you know, and a saw that I can cut about, you know, 10 by 10 inch pieces, about the biggest I could do, you know, but then I can, then I can make that base, you know, fit what I'm trying to do. You know, you don't want, you don't want stuff to overhang, but you want it to be as tight with the composition as possible. You know, building yes. on that, Andy, your, your piece, uh, retreat in the East with the Puma and the motorcycles and some of that, yeah. you know, you've got that section of fence, uh, behind the Puma and it's, it's amazing. You know, um, the one that Grant was talking about surrounded, you know, your, your ability to make that scene small and, and fit everything just where it needs to be. It's, it's really, it's really tremendous. This, uh, retreat in the east is the same way there's just so much going on in so little space and it's really really compelling that's i mean that's that's what i try to you know you can tell the story in a in, in a very small space you don't need a big space to do it for one it's easier to bring on the airplane to bring to mfca you know so that that helps always but that's what you and, and that's what i that was one of my biggest things i took from going to like mmsi and mfca you see something in like the magazine, you know, and it looks like it's probably 12 by 12. You see it in person, it's five and a half by three and a half inches. They fit, you know, the Bill Horans, the Mike Blanks, the Doug Cohens. They fit so much in to the little space. There's not one extra inch on those bases um, or extra, you know, half inch or quarter of an inch. Everything is made to tell the story that they're trying to tell in the smallest place possible. And I think if you... Think of that as you're doing it, you're going to get there because you don't have restrictions. You don't have any borders. You you just tell a story, worry about the rest later. You know, that's kind of what I try to do. But they don't have to tell a story. They can, they can be a snapshot in time, you know, that too. But whatever you're trying to do, do it in the smallest piece possible. Um, that, that, that would be my, my, if anybody would ever, you know, 
come and ask me like to critique their dioramas or something, it would be, it's too big. The base is too big. You've, you made this base four times bigger than what it needs to be. You know, that's where I think a lot of things get lost there is just too much empty space. And that's definitely something that I try to do. You know, like I said, I try to make it as small as possible. I'll, I'll actually make stuff too small and then I'll go out to the garage. I'll cut the base and I'll come back and I'll be, yeah, that's a little bit too small. Then I'll have to redo it, but that's okay. It's all part of the process to get to what your, what your vision is. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Interesting question here. I mean, um, I know you say you don't really keep a lot of your work, but what are a couple of your pieces that you've done that you're maybe especially proud of or, or ones where you really kind of hit that vision that you had maybe uh, uh, that are that are favorites of yours? I don't know. I don't really, I guess I don't have like real favorites. I think the, the last one I did to me, I hope it's my best one. I hope I always have improved, you know, so I hope the last thing I did is is the best thing I did. You would probably have to really talk me into selling the 16 scale Stug. That's right now. That's one of my favorites, but it's, it's the last 16 scale one that I did. I do the 251 half track coming up here. I'm going to, hopefully I'm going to like that more and then I'll somebody have the Stug. You know, it's it just, it's just, it's usually the last one. I've had some um, single figures that I've really loved. I did a uh, 75th scale or I'm sorry, 75 millimeter. So it was a Royal model German Grenadier. He's in the, the dot camo. And he's in front of like a half building. I've painted him twice. One time he's just on stand on a base. And I did him in front of a building. I didn't think I did him about two years ago. I think I did him during COVID. So two years now, three years ago. That's my favorite standalone figure. I don't think I've ever hit that before. I, I haven't hit that again to me. But unfortunately, that was, that was actually, that was a commission piece. So I no longer have it. But that was probably my favorite, my favorite piece. And then, like I said, whatever I'm doing now, I'm looking in my display case. The stuff I have ready for the show this year. I like that the best. Will that be how I feel next year? Who knows? I don't get too attached to them. <laughs> I can always redo it, right? And and everything to me has a problem. So it's not perfect to me. So if I ever do make that perfect model to me, then I guess that would be my favorite. But everything to me has a flaw. I did something wrong. I cut a corner here that I shouldn't have. Um, so, but, but the 16 scale stoop right now is probably my favorite. Nice. You know, we've talked a little bit about your dioramas. You briefly hinted on it there around super detailing armor. I think one of the pieces that stood out to me that I really enjoyed, and I think it was, it wasn't at this past Omaha Nats. It was the one before it, I believe. Uh, it was okay. the self-propelled, maybe it was this past one. It was the self-propelled Russian giant green uh, self-propelled artillery piece. Oh, the two S was a two S seven or something like that. Yeah, the green. Yeah, on that would have been killer. That would have been back at World Expo. So that was twenty seventeen. Yeah. Okay. That's what I uh, yeah, thought. Yeah. So it was, it was World Expo. So then that would have been the Omaha because wasn't Omaha wasn't there a national in Omaha same year as World yeah Expo? same time yeah, frame yeah 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 yeah. yeah. So that was that, that was back then. So that would have been twenty seventeen. That um, was killer. That was um that was like my first introduction to I believe I ordered from Shapeways way back when it was my first like 3D printed parts I got like the 3D printed in, um interior and like the the back end where they pull the ammo at that was all was like my first 3D parts and you know back then you had to spend more time getting the uh, getting the aligns <laughs> out of the 3D printing than you did it would have been easier to scratch build it but um, um that was probably I think. That time frame was probably the end of my super crazy detailing of armor. I kind of stopped after that. World Expo is kind of like 
you know, the Chicago show or the MFCA on steroids, right? So everything that I saw at those shows just was overwhelming there. And it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. I really want to do this stuff now. You know, the, the other, you know, the storytelling or the vignettes and stuff like that. So that was probably the end of my super detailed stuff. Yeah, I can, I can totally understand that. I think what stuck out to me with that, especially around the time frame. IPMS USA shows have a stigma, I think, around, you know, the approach on finish and maybe uh, sometimes the models are rather pedestrian. Um, but I, I think when you see your models on the table, it, it's just another level. And I and I hearken back to yours and a few other familiar names we've said. Those are the ones that really push me. And I can that one really drew me in just because the complexity of finish. I think it was, you know, it stood alone on the table uh, at at a time where, you know, modulation and those advanced, dare I say, European techniques Mm -hmm. are, you know, making really headway in the United States. I think that one really caught my eye and I probably took like a dozen pictures of it Um, (laughs) just because it was it was interesting and turning a single color of green into something that really tells a story, but also captures your eye. It, It was that perfect balance of artistic and realism and I'm just fawning over it because I thought it was freaking awesome. <laughs> um, and I, I, like and I love and I love your single vehicles. You know, a couple of them stand out too, like the Panther A. I think you took that to you took that to Omaha, the last one, the whitewashed one, yep, which was awesome. One, yeah. And then the vehicle that really stood out to me, yeah, uh, you know, your single vehicle. I think it was a T. What was a T sixty four with the ERA blocks, Ukrainian mm-hmm. one. Um, yep. That was that was in Omaha too. I thought again, as we look across the table, there's certain pieces that jump, uh, and those those are rising, uh, you know, well above the rest. And again, I I find those single pieces inspiring. In addition to your dioramas, of course, but yeah, I I just think you you continually knock it out of the park. Both everyone likes to say tank on a plank, you still nail that, <laughs> but then also you know you tell the story. You know, while I'm uh, while I'm fawning over your work, I'll harken back to I think it was the previous Omaha Panzer IV definitely stands out. The late one with all the dudes on it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then also the the one you know if I pick an Andy iconic piece, the one that sticks out the most to me is the the front uh, the FT ditched with the okay. with the Germans in the gas mass. I think that scene, you know, as we think, you know, it's 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 not an action scene, but it, it's it's a you know a post a post mortem almost where, you know, know, the dudes are just standing around uh, and the gas, the gas masks, I think really set that scene apart from everything else you see in a lot of dioramas where, yes, we're always used to their faces, but in military dioramas, especially, I find that that little thing is so different. It, It just creates a completely different mood when looking at the piece and really ties you into that exact moment, what happened potentially on the field that day. Uh, and of course, what, you know, what weapons were used. So in that piece, you know, can you talk us a, talk a little bit about the formation of that piece and and the idea behind and and for our listeners, just we'll post these pictures just for further clarity. This is an FT seventeen ditched three Germans casually. One, I think one's on the ground, the others are kneeling or standing, and they're just looking at, uh, you know, looking out as if somebody was taking a picture. And and as an observer to the piece, you're really drawn into that moment and you feel like you're there. So, you know, Andy, if you could talk about that piece specifically with us, uh, I, I'd really love it. Just kind of how how that scene came about. Um, I'm sure I remember this. I don't even know when that was. That was probably that was probably right after my L70. So maybe my second 
big 16 scale, like I would say project or, and that was where I wanted, I, I thought my L70 didn't set a mood. It was guys on a tank. So it, it was like, what do I do to further that? I think FT just came out. Cause I think I built it pretty close to when it came out and I was like, oh, that's be a cool next 16 scale. So like I can remember building it and it was just, just, just a tank. It went down the same process as my L70 did. I, I can remember I built the base. Um, it was just flat, you know, a little bit of ground, you know, it, it had some levels, but it was nothing how it turned out. I think I had, I don't think any of the original figures that I had put together or tried to use, I wound up using, I had it all, and it all set. And I was like, this is what I just did. I just did this same thing two years ago. I can't just do it again. I got to do something different. So what can I do different? You know, so then that led into, I probably didn't even do a lot of research when I first started it, that, but then that, I started looking into, you know, World War One pictures and, oh, now I can do a lot more mud. I can do this, you know, what can I do to give the feeling that I wanted? Like I said, I, I had an idea, but when I got to what I thought was my end, you know, time to paint, time to put it together, it just wasn't there. It, it was not what I wanted. It, it just reminded me of the L70. You know, I had a guy on the tank. I had two guys in front of it. You know, I had a guy sitting on the back, you know, and, and then it was like, that, 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 it just didn't work. You know, what can I do? So then, you know, I started, I looked back at, you know, probably looking through, you know, some old pictures of, um, you know, other people's work. And I always kind of, like the vertical or like the angle yeah. of something. Yeah. Um, that was probably about, I can't remember what probably gave me the, you know, what really inspired me to do that, but um, something did. Either I saw something or saw something at a show or something. Something turned me to like, that's what I got to do. That's the way I got to do it. And then it was off. And then it was like, okay, here's what I do. That's probably the first time I started with, okay, here's my tank. Here's my figures. Make them fit the base or, you know, make the base fit them. Don't fit the base to the figures. Um, I can go outside and cut that base. Or I can have somebody cut the base for me. I don't need to fit a, a constrained like dimension. It can, it can have different levels. I can use my tank as the backdrop. What's the backdrop? I think my first time through it, I was going to use a building. You know, why would an FT-17 be next to a building with Germans on it? You know, just didn't play out, didn't work, you know, so that it just, and that's, that's how like most pieces do grow. And it was as simple as I think at a Chicago show, maybe last Calvary had the John Smith uh, gas mask. And I'm like, I got to use these on something. So I bought them and I used them on something. That was, it was that simple to why I put the guys in gas masks. It was not, it was, there was <laughs> nothing else besides that. It was like, oh, these are cool. I got to use them. And the actual, so it's a German gas mask in the end part, you know, like the, I guess it's probably the filter, right? That is actually threaded in resin to you know, you know, to like go on to a bottom and I'm like, I got to use these. These are the coolest things in the world. And then as the piece started, you know, kind of moving through, yeah, that really helps set the scene. That did it. That was like the final detail to, yeah, the crash, you know, the tank, the, there's a dead guy on the, on the backside that his, that his clothes are all tattered and torn and it's just a skeleton in a helmet. It's, it's not the main part of the scene, but if you look at it in the round, it helps to set the, set the, a mood and then just the final of the gas masks. You know, those, those are three guys actually have fully painted faces behind them because I wasn't going to use a, use a gas mask. So I was just going, you know, they were just going to be plain, you know, just normal figures. Uh, and I wound up adding that and that was like the key. So right till the end, it, you know, it changed even right up to the end. And then, you know, to, to me, you know, when you get to that point, 
It's like, yeah, that's it. That's what I wanted to do. That's um, awesome to hear, Andy, the process <laughs> of how you got there. Because to me, what stands out about this piece, this is one of my favorites as well, is again, your use of the vertical. But because of the way the FT is sitting, depending on where you look at the piece, you photographed it really, really well. You know, the front, the sides, everything is, it's almost like four or five different pieces, depending yeah. on the way that you view the, the finished, um, you know, the finished scene. It's really incredible that way. Yeah, that one was, as, as I was going through that process, I had the tank, but I didn't have the figures kind of set. And I didn't know what was going to be the front. You know, that just, it's square. It's, it is, I think it's a, it's like 12 by 12. It's pretty small for a 16 scale a piece. It's pretty small. It's like 12 by 12 or 13 by 13. I had a hard time trying to figure out what was going to be the front because the FT is kind of in the middle and the guys could fit anywhere, you know? So it was like, what looked the best? How did you, you know, how could I figure out what, what brings the viewer into it the best? And that was how I kind of settled on what I did. Tell us about your uh, 16th scale Stug and and um, that piece and how that kind of came about. It took the same path as most, um, you know, the cool tank, cool tank comes out, got to build it. So I, most of my 16th scale projects kind of digest for a while. You know, it was, I had gone a couple of years ago, my wife and I had gone to Rome We took a day trip to casino. So I got to see the Abbey, you know, it was a kind of a guided tour, um, which was kind of cool to see that, all that stuff. So I had this, I, I want to do something, you know, World War II-ish, you know, like Italian front when I get back. So that, that, that tank had come out a couple of years after that. So it was like, I, I, I actually planned a whole scene in 35th scale. And then when the 16th scale stew came out, I decided to, well, let's give that a shot. So I built the tank first. And then it was like, what do I want to do with that? How can I tell, you know, any type of story? So get out the figures. What figures do I own? What do I need to convert? What do I need to fix? You know, so started just playing with arms and legs and, you know, torsos and try and get it together. You know, always kind of thinking, what's the backdrop? Is the tank the backdrop? Is there going to be, be a building in the backdrop? This one, it's pretty much just a tank. It's kind of a centerpiece, but there's a couple of figures do sit a little lower, you know, to kind of give you some type of verticality to it. You know, you can stand the guys on the back of the tank to get that, you know, the holy triangle of, you know, something's got to be tall in the back in the middle, you know, but how can you do that without doing the same thing over and over? Getting into the research and seeing, you know, like the town of Casino during the battle, it's just rubble. It's all rubble. There's nothing still standing. So if I wanted to do a building, you know, if you did the building a wall, there's... 30 feet of rubble. So you can't have that. That doesn't fit in my small space type thing that, that, that I want to do. So get rid of that. You can just kind of show the edges of that big pile of rubble. So let's start there. So that kind of set the backside of it. I had built that whole tank. I had painted it. I was at, I believe I was at MFCA that year. And I was, um, somebody had a nice diorama there with a stoog or something, or I saw, it wasn't a stoog, a different tank, but the tank was just beat to hell. Fender ripped off, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And I still had just a plain stoog. Looked like it just came out of the factory. So I came back home and I took my Dremel to the stoog and start cutting parts off and rebuilding pieces. Once again, trying to set the atmosphere. You have the rubble. The stoog is not going to be, you know, shiny and new. You know, the figures aren't going to be you know, in their, in their dress uniform. So I kind of figured out the stoog. Now figure out the figures. What can you do with the figures? How can you give them the same atmosphere and the same feeling as the stoog? You know, that one, the five guys that are on there, I don't know, five or six guys. I think the standing, standing paratrooper on top of the tank is the only guy that was in the original composition. Everything was different. It was actually a more of an action scene. And and that standing guy had different arms. He was actually like, um, he was behind the stoog. And it was going to be this action scene with a guy jumping over the wall. 
and everything. And it just didn't come together. So I started doing other stuff with other figures. I think there's two figures. I think they're in my display case here somewhere. There was two guys I had completely painted. All done. And I wound up not using them. One of the guys there, I think the guy in front, once I had them all painted and put together, he didn't fit. His clothes weren't as baggy as the other guy. You know, he looked, his uniform didn't fit the same way the uniform fit on the other three guys. So I re-sculpted, you know, I added some, you know, some bulk to him. The guy in the, the tank commander, if you want to call him, he was way more like a vertical when I first put him in there. And he was all painted. All the other guys have much more of a natural kind of like a hang to him. And he looked too like, you know, he looked like too proper, looked like he was going to church. So, uh, you know, I had to, so I took him out, cut off his torso, redid his legs and all to like lean him over by half an inch. But now he looks more natural. Now he's hanging out of the side instead of, you know, standing up in it. Like a Tamiya guy from, you know, from, you know, from 1970. So that's the way that kind of came out. And then it was just, I, I wanted to paint a lot of camouflage and then that overwhelmed me. It was too much camouflage, too much German camouflage. So you'll see one guy's in green. He was at the end of my, end of my journey. But then as you look at it, that adds contrast, that adds something different to it then, you know, so yeah. he's in green, the tank commander's in his field gray, and you got three guys in camouflage, you know, and, and I wanted to try and tell the story of that Stug has all the crap on the back of the Stug. It's got grenades, ammo, everything that they need. And these five guys came over to get resupplied off the back of that Stug. And then they see something going on and they're all looking at it off in the distance. You know, so that's kind of the story. That's that's why like everything on the back of that Stug is not covered up. Everything's open. You know, it's yeah. like the, the one guy is leaning against like the tarp that would be over the back, but they pull the tarp off and it's over in the corner. And that's what he's kind of leaning up against as he has a smoke. You know, uh, so that's kind of the way I was trying to get to that. Doing the stuff like that, like doing the storage on a tank, you know, that, yeah, there's a thousand pieces you can go and buy. You got to do more to it than just buy the piece and glue it on the back of your tank. You have to add to it, you know, take parts out of it, add parts to it, put canvas over it, you know, add more stuff to it, add more grenades onto the top of it. You know, you could do all that kind of stuff to kind of give it your own, like, you know, individuality, but mm -hmm. also to, you know, get that more lived in feeling or help, you know, once again, help yeah. set the mood of what's going on. Nothing against all the manufacturers that make their stuff. It's great, but. I buy it all, then I wind up cutting it in half or grinding it out or doing something to it. So I should yeah. probably just build my own stuff. Because it is a little bit bigger scene because it's 16th scale, but also because of all the details you're talking about, it really has a weight. You know, as I was walking down through the tables, if you stop and kind of look, it just sucks you in, you know, and I, I think you and I were kind of talking about that um, when you were telling me you know, how you put all the individual elements together, but it just, mm -hmm. it really, it really grabs a hold of you as a viewer and uh, just really grabs your imagination. See, I, I don't see that when I'm done with something. It's like, thank God I'm done at the end of that journey and I'm going to move <laughs> on to something else, you know, you know, because I've looked at it for so long. And when, when somebody does stop up, you know, you know, like you did, you know, you know, you stopped up to talk about it and, you know, it, it, it was like that kind of rekindled my journey, you know, to, to explain to you what I did with it. But it's really like, yeah, I don't see that. I, I really I don't. I don't see it in my own work. Um, it's like, I'm glad I'm done with it, but I'm glad it's, you know, glad other people get, you know, get kind of inspired by that. So I, I guess I'm doing to other people what I use, what other people used to do to me or, or still do to me, obviously. But, um, so, so it is kind of cool to hear that other people do get, you know, inspiration for what I'm doing. I never thought I would get there back when I was dry brushing, you know, to me, a figures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that, that brings back some memories right there. <laughs> so we, we talked about MSI. We talked about your build. So I'm, I'm going to MMSI is le- about mm-hmm. a month away from now. About so later, yeah, yeah, yeah. what are you bringing? Oh, um, my, nothing. A 16 scale this year. I, I, I had kind of, um, I wouldn't say I've had a low in a model building, but had a big vacation this year. Got back from that. Um, I was kind of out of gas. So I do have, I got uh, two small vignettes. Um, Mm -hmm. One of them was kind of inspired by my vacation. We took a Normandy, me and my wife took a Normandy tour. So I'm doing a 101st Airborne small little compact diorama. Um, That should be done. I got a lot of work to do on it, but I should get that done. I got a small diorama with with some Germans behind a cart Mm -hmm. and probably about seven or eight individual figures. Um, So that'll be, I got a couple of busts, a couple 75 millimeters figures nothing for the ordinance category uh two years in, in a row now you know for something that i always did i always bought a tank on a plank as john would say um <laughs> i haven't done it now in two years so i do have a couple other stuff hopefully one of the collectors that has some of my stuff he's going to bring it up for me so i can have a, a bigger display um that, that that haven't been to the show before we'll see i have some stuff there it'll be something so. <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Andy, you mentioned going to Normandy. Uh, what sites mm-hmm. did you hit? When were you there? Um, I think, John, I, I, I believe I was there exact same time you were. <laughs> I was going to say, um, <laughs> I thought so. We, we, we crossed on uh, some motorway. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I got there. Um, so, so we did a guided tour with the, with the uh, Beaches of Normandy group. Um, nice. So me and my wife went to Paris for about three days before or for two days before. Then we did the trip and we were there for a day after in Paris. But I think we may have started on June 17th and I think we came back on June 25th. 26 something like that nine days so because you were there for the air show right for the yeah i did paris air show and then i stayed for a week and then you stayed right and i spent five days i stayed at aramash but i went all over the place it was okay uh, okay it was it was a hell of a trip did you did you stop at the tiger one in vimeteers no no so always so so the tour like i said it was you know it was pretty much a guided tour you know on this day you do this um oh that's cool we we were uh, based out of the omaha beach on the golf course day, they have a, a small like resort there. So that's where we were nice. based out of. So we took a day, tr- you know, we took day trips out of there. So we did, you know, you started Utah, a beach one day, Omaha beach the next day and then everything that goes with it. And then uh, the third day we did, I can't remember, you know, kind of boards together, but we did. The, so, so we wanted to do all five beaches, you know, like all the big sites, you know, the big museums, uh, the airborne museum. Yeah. The, what's the big one right by the Omaha beach, right by the cemetery. Oh yeah. Uh, there's um yeah. I, I think it, it might be called the overlord museum. Yes. Yes. I do um, so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we got to spend a couple it's hours. It's really nice. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Was, was somebody's, was some guys pretty much his, his whole collection. You know, when yeah. you get to the end, you see the guy's a name and it's like this, this was all this guy's stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, he, he had everything. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that museum was amazing. I think the one thing for me, it was just hard to see some things. It was really, it was. you know, from a, from a visitor that isn't like, uber interested in military vehicle details like ourselves it's a wonderful experience yes. you know it tells yeah. the story yeah. it yeah. sets the mood right but i'm like damn there's a freeze crane and a panther and i'm in pitch I black i can't see it's it in I'm pitch like, black and it's in this overwhelming hall yeah you know, yeah you know, it's like oh man i can i get can i you know can i, I sneak back there and crawl all over this yeah you know, the panther you know, yeah, G was, was behind glass or i'm sorry the panzer four was behind the glass. panzer four was behind the glass which which was awesome to see I was impressed with their, you know, half track soft skin collection. He yeah, had yeah, everything yeah. there. He had everything. Uh, he did. He did. It was really cool. That was, that was pretty cool. You know, so we did a Utah Beach 
a museum. So we did all the big museums there and everything. Yeah. You know, it was, I didn't do a lot of research before I went there. I wish I would have, because in like every moment of my spare time, I would have been crawling around somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so we didn't, I, I should have done that. Um, I actually had to convince my wife, we got to go back. Dude, seriously. It was, <laughs> I think the thing that surprised me the most about Normandy, and I guess you could say the whole Normandy sector from Pegasus Bridge all the way, mm-hmm. you know, across the five beaches, it's like, a massive area. It's, it, it, it's big. Yeah. It's yeah. big. You know, I, I yeah. the later part of my trip was in the Ardennes and that was super tight. Okay. Normandy was huge. Like you said, yeah. day yeah. trips everywhere. Yeah. It's almost, yeah. you pick a yeah. base camp and then you're going right. out driving an hour or so every day to get to a different sector. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of what we did. So it, it, was, it was very cool. And it was enough like detail for me. I was kind of afraid yeah. it was going to be, you know, just kind of an overview. And now we had, you know, had great tour guides and stuff. And so it was awesome. Um, so I came back from that really inspired to do stuff, but yeah. then also inspired to learn more about the history. So I spent way yeah. more of my evenings reading something, looking something up on the internet. Um, I've gone down a rabbit hole on the Atlantic wall for some odd reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so that's taken a lot of my modeling up. That's why there's no big 16 scale something to bring to the show this year. So uh, I totally get it. But- <laughs> I totally understand. Do you ever see yourself maybe doing like, I don't know, a ship or a science fiction subject or, you know, as you look maybe five or 10 years down the line, you know, where do you see your model going, your modeling going to? I'd, I'd love to do a ship. I have probably about 10 of them. One, three, 50 scales. I got a bunch of Japanese aircraft carriers, stuff like that. I do want to do one eventually. I kind, I kind of bought them when they came out because you never know if they're going to still be there. That's at least that's my my justification in my own head. Is it going to be there in 20 years when I want to build it? No, they won't, but one way nicer a will. So I'll just buy that one when it, you know, 20 years down the road. I would like to do a ship. That's actually my favorite part of like the IPM is nationals is the ships because that's something I haven't tried. I'd love to try. Um, I don't know if I can can do one to the, you know, to, to their, to, you know, to the quality that you see there, but it's something I want to try. I had some sci-fi stuff. I'd love to do it. You know, I, I have these ideas of like my, you know, something that I do with, you know, five German guys behind a cart. Well, I want to do five stormtroopers behind a blowing up something else, you know? So, so I do want to do something like that eventually. Right now, I think I'm going to make, I think I'm tired of World War II for a little bit. I'm going to go into other like historical things, maybe knights. I don't know, maybe Romans, something. I think I got to take like at least like a one project detour for a little bit here. So we'll see. But I also want to do, I want to do a fully like five figure vignette that all five guys are my own are my own sculpts. And I want to do that for MFCA this year. Let's see if I get motivated to do that. I, I say I'm going to get, get out of World War II, but that'll probably be Germans because that's what I think I can sculpt the best. So I'll probably will maybe go down that path. But but everything, I I want to build everything. I have so many ideas in my head. I, I just want to build everything. You know, anything can motivate me. I can take a Roman scene and turn it into a World War II scene. I can take a medieval scene and turn that into a Roman scene. It's just, that's what I want to kind of do, you know, in my next step. I think, but we'll see. Let's see. I still like the World War II stuff. I'm still, you know, everything I'm bringing this year is World War II. So um, we'll see where that goes. So, you know, speaking of where we go, Andy, it, you know, if people want to catch you at a show, wh- what do you typically hit every year? Well, so I always go to, you know, to the, to the Chicago show in the fall and in October. And then I always go to MFCA. Um, I try to always get there. I mean, I've gone there now about the last, except for the COVID year and when World Expo was in Chicago, because I don't think they had that show as a full weekend show. I think I've gone there since probably 2008 or nine. And if the nationals are in the Midwest, I'll go. Um, so I'll probably be at. 
that. So I probably will be at um, Madison next year. Amps, maybe, maybe not. I might show up for a day. We'll see. see you got to come to South Bend. We're all going to be there. Yeah, I'll probably show up for a day. I don't know if I'm going to spend a weekend there. We'll see. We but I probably, will get beer. I probably will get there. All right. I think I'll, well, then now I got to go for at least a day. So. <laughs> but it, it's usually, you know, it's usually the big figure shows. And unfortunately now around here, you know, in the U.S., there's only two, you know, it's really, I guess the Atlanta show is there too. You know, the Long Island show, that's way too close to Chicago. So I can usually never get there, but those, I, I'd like to get those on my, you know, on my normal calendar of shows. Nice. It usually just doesn't work out. I would like to go to, to more, just, I, I like the group, you know, and that's a different group. That's, you know, the group for MFCA and MSI. That's the guys I, I really kind of gravitate towards now. You know, it's, it's less the IPMS and the amps. And there's some overlap between the two. At, at the moment, it's those guys. Those guys are what give me the inspiration. So for that's, sure. that's, that's where you'll find me at, with those guys. I love it. You know, we we got to have a show in Denver or Salt Lake City. Maybe we'll get you out west, explore <laughs> the mountains. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, actually, I have some family in Denver. Um, oh, then Denver, this is sold. So. <laughs> I feel I feel like it's 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 fate for crying out loud. It, it, it could be. Yeah, it could be. How I, I I definitely do want to travel to more shows. I definitely do. I I missed going to to the nationals of this year, and it wasn't because of the show. It was like, oh, look who's at the show. Oh, you know, hey, you know, Jim's at the show or whoever. And it's like, oh man, I haven't seen him since last year on nationals yeah so it was like i definitely had it was only texas i could have got to texas you know it's not too far but i don't like to drive that far so i'd probably have to fly and it limits what you can bring you know so but i still want to get to more i definitely do want to do more shows and i don't want to miss them because i think i missed a lot when i was younger you know i didn't go to a lot at all yeah. you know like i said i only started going to chicago in 2001 and that was my only show i went to for years you know, my first AMP show would have probably been the first one in Aberdeen. Um, my first IPMS Nationals, maybe maybe Columbus in 2008 or nine. I didn't, I didn't even go to to the uh, Chicago one, you know, it was right in my backyard in what, what 2000 or whatever. And I didn't go. So I definitely want to get to more because I think I need to catch up. I haven't gone to enough. hundred <laughs> percent. So Andy, you know, one of the last questions we always like to ask our guests is uh, you've accomplished a lot. You've made a lot of big projects. When we think of what, what is at the top, the magnum opus, what, if you had one last project to do, no matter what the scope scale effort, what would it be? One last project. Something where it would have to be something of substantial size. So probably something 16 scale where all of the figures, whatever it would be, four, five, six, eight, you know, whatever I come up with, we're all my sculpts. That would be, you know, that would be what I think would be the top. And if I pulled it off, I'd probably quit. <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's like, that's it. You know, seeing what like John Rosengrant does with a 16 scale, you know, tank and does his eight figures. Doing something to that quality would be, you know, one of the, you know, one of my highlights if I could pull that off. Because what you have to do to get there is just so much work, effort, creativity. So it's the, it's the, top of all of those different, you know, tasks, mm -hmm. you know, you can't screw up the paint job on a 16 scale, a tank, you can't screw up the groundwork, you can't screw up the sculpting, you know, you can't screw up the painting of the figures, you know, so all of that together would be, you know, would be my top, top thing that or something of kind of the same, but like a, a medieval battle scene that, that, that I sculpted everything like a Mike blank piece. You know, you know, if I could do that, I, I would, I'd be, I'd be happy. That, that, that would be a, it'd be a happy place for me if I could recreate something to 90% of what he could do. Uh, that, that would be something cool too. But it, it's, it's more the, if I could get there with the creativity and my own, you know, my own pieces. So, so 
I sculpted them. That, that would be it. Well, Andy, this has been fantastic. Thank you for spending some time with us no uh, problem, today guys. and uh, giving us kind of a glimpse into how you do <laughs> uh, what you do. And, uh, you know, thank you for the time you spent with me last year. I can't wait to see uh, what you bring to MMSI this year and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Maybe we can uh, hang out in the, the hostility suite. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's not very... that hostile there. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's, not it's, as, it's... it's not as hostile there as they all make it out to be. It's yeah. unless, unless they get it more than I do. Cause I'm probably just a, a lonely judge and they're the, you know, they're the head guys. So they might get it a little more, you know, you know, but, but it's it. And, and that's take a, go down a little rabbit hole here. If you go to the show because of you have an expectation of a medal you want to get, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Go to the show to be 100%. inspired by people. Go to the show to meet other people. Um, you know, that's that's the hobby to me. You know, that's I, I never would have met this wide range of people that I know if it wasn't for a modeling. We have nothing in common. We have anything in common with John, except we built a model, right? We don't have anything in common with Greg CR. He's one of my better friends now. It's like, you know, that's why you go to the show. And and if you if you did go with an expectation for something and you don't hit that expectation look at it in two different ways go try harder next time which is kind of a rude way to say it but if that's what you want then that's what you got to do or just look at it as a couple people didn't like what i brought this year oh well and then move on and don't let it bother you don't let it drag you down don't get into facebook arguments you know you know it's not worth it it's spend that time modeling you know spend that time doing the stuff that you like to do if this brings you brings you a joy and i'm not sure if it does bring you joy if you get that mad because you didn't win something you know (laughs) it's like well if you're that upset about it then you might have picked the wrong hobby, you know, you know, because it's like you should have fun doing it. You should have fun seeing other people. Take the criticism, take constructive criticism. Don't take anger, you yeah. know, spewed at you. You know, that's that's not a good way to we, we want more people to do this. Right. You know, we, we want that. Yep. We, you know, I go to, you know, I'm, I'm not involved with the, you know, with the, with the uh, club up here, but it's my, it's my home show. I, I want those tables to be filled all the time. Cause then I know it's going to be there next year. It's going to be there the year after if more people keep coming, you know, that's what I want. That's, that's what this is. That's where I, that's where I went to John. You want my, you know, that's what I want. I want people to have, I want everybody who comes to the show to have fun. Don't be angry. You know, it's not, it's not worth it. This is, it's fun. You know, somebody at, there was, I was at MFCA a few years ago. Somebody was on his cell phone telling his wife that he won a bronze. And you could tell that the wife was like, you spent all that time in the basement and all you got was a freaking bronze. You know, you could tell that was the other end of it. And then I was, I was walking by with somebody else and this guy was like, this guy's all upset or excited. You can't tell what he's doing for a trinket, for a little trinket. That's, that's what you're excited about. You're not, we're all out on our way out to eat. Where, where are we going to go out? Who, you know, yeah. who are we going to hang out with, you know, tonight? That's the, that's the fun part. That's, that's where that's where the, the hobby needs to go with everybody and everybody just needs to relax and have some fun. It's yep. fun. And what you said earlier, <laughs> you know, go for the inspiration, go, go to be inspiration, go to be exactly. inspired, you know, go to meet Andy and have him tell right, you about right. the piece that he brought and, and how, right. how right. he put that together. And you know, that, that's what, that's what I think is the best part of that. And then like you that said, is, going and yeah. hanging yeah, out with fun. like-minded people. Yeah. Right, right. You know, I, you know, that's no, I was going to say, I, I'm going to see Shep Payne's work. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. That's a great, you know, that's what it should be, but I'm also be able to see Shep Payne's work for me is, is monumental. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it is. Yeah, I've never yeah, seen his yeah. stuff before. And I, I grew up with how to build dioramas, how to build military. Okay. That was the books I started with, you know, so right, seeing right. those, you know, that's going to be 
that's that's yeah that's awesome that's, that's yeah, awesome right that, that is that, and it, it'll be awesome for me yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah, the plane yeah, ticket right yeah, there that's yeah, the whole yeah. thing i mean you know like i said before i've, I've been to his house before and yeah, stuff like yeah. that and but he didn't have that stuff there you know he was done with that he was he was a military collector by the time i got to know him you know you know it was it was like he you know he wanted to have one last modeling hooray before he you know before he got too old and unfortunately he passed away in the middle of it but you know but that was it was like i've, I've never seen I've, I've seen you know I see the same stuff, stuff, you know, you guys would see. You see it in our magazines and stuff, everything. And once in a great while, you know, at the World Expo in Chicago, there's a couple pieces there. The half-track piece was there last year. But I'm really stoked to see all his other stuff, to see the boxes. I don't think I've ever seen a box in person. I've seen his yeah. open dioramas. I've never seen the boxes in person. It seems like that's what's going to be there. Yeah. yeah. You're talking you know, about, there's so. going to be a lot. There's sorry, I think like it's eight a great, or yeah, nine. Like, Eight or nine at least. More than that, yeah. Oh, yeah. More than that. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it should be awesome. should be great to see that stuff. And, you know, that's the inspiration. May not be, yeah, there's going to be better, there's going to be somebody who has a better sculpted figure there or a better painted tank than what's inside that box. But it's not going to give you the feeling that his does because his would have set that atmosphere, set that feeling that that I, you know, try to capture and everything. So, so that's, that will be cool to see. Can't, Can't wait to see all that stuff. Well, October 20th and 21st, the Schaumburg Marriott, the MMSI show. If anybody listening uh, wants to attend, uh, highly recommended. My first time was last year. It was amazing. You get to meet fantastic modelers like this guy right here. And uh, if you get a chance, if you're in the area, go see it. The work is amazing. And uh, I think you'll be impressed. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. And thanks for um, giving the show a little bit of avail plug there like i said it's my you know bigger that show is the better it's it's yep. always always and it's always gonna see our new people the last couple of years a lot of new names when i'm going through judging and stuff it's like oh, i haven't heard that guy's name before i haven't seen his name before so that's a plus so. yeah well andy thanks again this has been a lot of fun thank you for taking the time to get to know me a little bit last year uh, you're very generous with your time your work's very inspiring and uh well, we will see you in a, in a few weeks in chicago awesome guys i will see uh at least i'll see i'll see two of you guys you said you were bringing somebody else but two else yeah grant bring? grant's coming grant's and, coming uh, right yep. and then, uh, yep. okay gonna, all right gonna try and drag some other people too john's saying something about going to this little show in in uh eindhoven or something i don't yeah, know yeah that's that's always <laughs> a, like, like, like the, a week after or the week of usually yeah. the week after Right, right. And it's usually the week after. So, yeah. yeah. Believe me, I wish I could go to both, but I, I do enjoy my personal life right now. And <laughs> walking, a, walking away for two weekends in a row for a scale model show might, uh, yeah. might be a little tough. Uh, but no, it's it's on my short list for sure. You know, this year it's SMC. I think next year we'll do Telford. But in that mix, I'll oh, awesome. also do cool. the Chicago show. So Sounds good. Yeah, it's great. I can't wait. So maybe we'll see you in Madison. Maybe we'll see you oh, at yeah. Amps in South bend is south bend and uh if we do drinks are on us all right sounds good guys thank you very much thanks andy All right. That was a great interview. Hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed that. Andy is uh, terrific. Um, I really enjoyed getting to meet him at last year's MMSI. And I am uh, really, really excited to see what he brings uh, this year and uh, be able to see that in person. It's going to be great. All right, Jensen, let's talk about some merch. 
That's right, pull up those lounge trousers, it's merch time. If you would like to rep the posse, you can check out our awesome merch at our Triple P Springs page. You can find coffee mugs, t-shirts, jumpers, or even some world-famous Triple P lounge trousers. You can order all of your stylish Plastic Posse merch on the webpage at plasticpossepodcast.creator-spring.com or loungetrousers.com. Rep the posse today. All right. Thanks, Jensen. Well, I wanted to talk uh, briefly about a couple of books uh, that I got this week. Uh, one was electronic. One was um, a print book. First, I wanted to highlight the ebook version of Perfect Pits, the expanded second edition. Chris Meddings was uh, kind enough to share a link to this ebook, and it's a pretty awesome book, especially for you aircraft guys. It's a great value. It's an ebook, a PDF that you download like to your iPad. Um, the book features five different modelers and it's 92 pages it's actually expanded over the the print version of the book really good photography a lot of pictures almost kind of like a, a tank art kind of a for, a format that they've done with the book it's really good um there's everything from scratch building to painting to super detailing tom anish uh does uh one of the chapters in there and and i mean he, he's using all of his microscopic knobs and levers and switches and um that it's it's a it's a really good book. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, um, give it a little look. I think it's really really nice. You can get it over at insidethearmor.com. And also, I think uh, Chris is having a twenty percent off sale on the rest of his books. You use the code Summer Twenty Three, so you may want to check out some of his uh, other print books or eBooks. The other thing I wanted to talk about is I got a notification from Australia Post this week, and I'm holding it up here. I think Grant and TJ already have theirs, but uh, I received my copy of the Luna Combat book we discussed when Link was on with, with us. If you guys are on the fence about this book, you need to get that. This is beautiful, beautiful book. The photography in this is stunning. It's really good. Obviously, TJ has some work in this book, several other modelers, Link. And, and and other modelers, but it's just a beautiful book. Uh, the cover is very high gloss and the photography is just stunning. It The format that they've chosen is really, really, really highlights the work and the photography is stunning. So anyway, Luna Combat, you can get that from uh, Link on his paintonplastic.com or um, over on Facebook at Paint on Plastic. But if you uh, are interested at all in Machining Krieger, this book is really, really beautiful. So, all right. Well, thank you for riding along with us for episode 78 of the Plastic Posse. Your support, along with our great sponsors and patrons, help bring the Triple P to you every two weeks. If you've got a gripe, maybe a suggestion, you can send us your feedback to plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't joined the Plastic Posse Facebook group, why not? And we'll see you all in two weeks.
If you would like to support the Triple P and become a Plastic Posse Outrider, hey, it's super easy. Just go on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Plastic Posse Podcast, and you can set up a recurring donation there. These contributions help us offset the cost of bringing you the Triple P. There are three different tiers of support, and they start at just a buck a month. There's some great benefits. You get early access to podcasts, you get premium access to the hosts, chance to appear on a podcast like the world famous miss justin lentz and also access to exclusive triple p content let's recognize our amazing deputy marshals these guys really step up and help the posse do what we do and we sincerely thank them for their support they are brad ralston stephen rodwell rick cooper tim gidcom dan newman robert blocker tyler moore Derek post craig flynn brian kreiner scale model craft ken childress nick butta drew gardner scott hall Frank Perone, the voice of Bob, Jeremy Diamond, Ryan Smith, Terry Wilkinson, Chris Lovewell, Andrew Callis, Ethan Idenmill, Bruce the Model Noob, Steve Baker, Eric Daglish, Joe Porsche, Patrick Brown, thank you for breakfast, Jay Kidd, Brandon Gentry, Robert Klein, Mark Ewing, Ted Kawahara, Toadman, Model Doc, Doug Reed, Greg James, Les Workala, B Colt1911, John Everett, Josh Buck, Black Rifle Model Works, Thomas Baniak, Mark Bradley, Zach Pease, Joel Munson, Eric Brubaker, Jeremy Moore, DB Scale Model Studio, Matt Johnson, Jeremy Elliott, Mike Talley, Previous Seat, Mediocre Middle-Aged Modeler, Dan Knopfel, and J.C. Osborne. Let's also recognize our excellent posse foremen. These foremen are outriders who give the deputy marshals a hand. William, Rob, Tim, Jeff, Eddie, Ross, George, Gary, Waroff Models, Drew, Ross, Eric, Lynn, Cliff, Eric, Mike, Papa Steve, Red Beach One Studios, MB, MD Models, JV, Damon, Karen, Cody, Tim, Tim Nukeman, Mike, Greg, JAK, Ash, Irish Pat, Paul. What's the deal with iBones Models? What really is the deal? Congratulations, by the way. Mr. Grizz, Jackson, Make Marler, Chris, Lee, and Jamie. And of course, our posse outriders. We appreciate all of you, including our newest outrider, Chris Doppler. Thanks, Chris, and welcome to the posse. Please consider posting a review of the Triple P on the podcast platform that you use. Each five-star review helps other modelers find the Plastic Posse. The following stinger contains spoilers about Ahsoka. <laughs> if you haven't watched it yet, turn your podcast app off now. Has Hold everybody on. seen episode five of Ahsoka? I seen know six. six. I know six is out. I haven't seen that one. <clears throat> you guys see five? Yeah. yeah everybody. Oh Not my gosh. No. Oh, you what haven't you see seen six? it? You don't, you don't <laughs> I'm, 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 it's fine. You can talk about it. I <laughs> It, it was oh man so amazing to see um 
see Rex and see see the vision brought in into you know with real actors. I mean, just mm-hmm. uh, see seeing Anakin and and the the lightsaber colors changing and oh man, just what an amazing episode! Yeah, it's really yeah, good. It was, the whole the whole great. series is great. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because as as Jackson and Zach will tell you, and and I exaggerate just to piss them off and tell them, you know, Clone Wars isn't real Star Wars and <laughs> and all that stuff, which I don't honestly believe that. Um, I never watched the Clone Wars. I mean, I was an adult when that came out, and it was targeted to children. I mean, all Star Wars is. I don't care what anyone says. Star Wars is for kids. It, it made it just is, um, and that's fine. Kid stuff is great. Um, and I never watched Rebels. So, like, I am not the target. And, and, and there's been complaints about that with Ahsoka. Like, oh, you need to have watched, you know, all seven seasons of Clone Wars and Rebels or whatever. And I mean, I didn't. And I'm enjoying all of it. Um, but also, you know, I, I watch the YouTube videos. Like, I read the articles. Like, I know, I know the broad strokes. Like, I get it, right? Like I know I knew who Ahsoka was. I know, you know, the the big plot lines from Clone Wars and and I despite what I tell Jackson and, and Grizz, I have nothing against Clone Wars. Um it was just not the right time for me uh when it came out. And uh the the funniest thing that about this whole thing, especially that episode in particular, immediately after it dropped, I on Facebook there was you know one of these clickbaity, you know, reviews like on one of these like crappy like whatever websites they're like wrote a pretty nasty review of it like you know no one wanted to see this it just rehashes the clone wars and everything and then then like a couple days go by and everyone's raving about it and i'm like yeah it's funny like who wanted to see a re a live action rehash clone wars uh literally everyone that grew up watching the clone wars right because I think it's important to remember, like for a lot of people, that was their Star Wars, right? Like quote unquote kids, young people, Jackson and and, and Zach's age and, and around that area, star like Clone Wars was their Star Wars, right? Just like for, for really for me, my age, um, the prequels were my Star Wars. I was in ninth grade when the first prequel came out, right? So I was maybe a little bit older than a lot of kids that were watching the original star Wars in the 1970s when I was a, a a teenager, but like, that's what I grew up with. Obviously I grew up with the original trilogy first, you know, through my dad and I had the VHS tapes and I loved it and was obsessed with it by the time the prequels came out. But, you know, I grew up with the prequels and they get a lot of well-deserved hate because there isn't some not so good stuff about them. But again, and I've said a million times, I enjoy all star Wars. I don't care. And, People give me crap about it, but you know, I I enjoy the prequels. I enjoy the sequel trilogy. There's things about both that I don't like. Um, yeah, I mean, I enjoy, I've enjoyed all the shows. Some have been better than others. I'm looking at you, Book of Boba Fett. Um, looking at you, Obi Wan. Like I watched all of them, and I enjoyed every thing. You know, yeah. There's some stuff that's much much better. <clears throat> cough cough and or cough. Um, still the best star wars show they've ever made Andor is better than even season one of the mandalorian i'll yeah i'll die on that hill Andor was amazing there's literally nothing bad about that show um yeah you know i don't care that 
people think you have to have watched all this other crap to enjoy Ahsoka. I haven't, and I enjoy every I've enjoyed every episode. Yeah, sure, some of it hasn't been as good as as some other parts, but as a whole, I've really enjoyed it. This last episode was good too. I thought. Yeah, I mean, the, this the five was great. I think it was a six was fantastic. Um, I can't wait for seven. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, seven's going to be great, and then, you know, see what they do rolling on from that. But the, the in five, when they had Anakin there, and he was he was running through the, the, the smoke, and he was changing back and forth between Vader and oh, himself. But yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. And was so good. I was like, wow. And I, I I was lucky enough to grow up. You know, I remember standing in line to see the original episode four and and five and six at the theaters and stuff like that, and going and watching it and getting back in line again to watch it again and i was that was you know i grew up in those days and that was that was crazy and it was it was such a such a thing but you know you 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 talk about andor and you know and all the other stuff out there and rogue one was it it, is my favorite one of my favorite it's my favorite it's 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 really close to four but it's that's a great movie and it you know and that's in my opinion it's great and then i i love ahsoka and and it's just so interesting to see what they're doing and how they're rolling so much stuff into, you know, into these episodes, into the whole, th- the, 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 the whole story and everything like that. But it's, it's, you know, Scott, you're, you, you, you got to watch six. You're going to love and it. I think watching, watching the Clone Wars and, and Rebels, Rebels is, I think Rebels is probably, I, I was talking to my kids last night, we're rewatching it. Cause again, I got a, I got a 13 year old, 10 year old and a six year old the six year old has seen rebels but he doesn't remember you mm-hmm. know i mean he was probably two or something when we watched it last and so we're kind of going back through it um but whenever whenever it was over i was like oh man rebels because we're just about to finish season or season three and it just it's just it's just so like for some reason it sucks you in and it's like it's some of the best star wars i don't know if it's the best star wars because andor is really good mm-hmm. um but oh and there's something about in TJ. I know, I know, you know, you can enjoy it still. And I'm not like saying this to because like, I have this and you don't. But like, it hits whenever you went through all of all of um, when you've gone through all of Rebels and when you've gone through the Clone Wars. Like, there's just certain moments that'll hit you differently. Like whenever Anakin's walking off and he calls her snips, he calls Ahsoka snips. You're like, ooh. Like, I mean, I'm a grown man. I'll admit I got a tear. You know, it's like, oh, dude, that hits that hits in a spot whenever if you did, if you hadn't seen them and if you hadn't seen their relationship develop. That's so stupid. I feel like I'm talking. I'm talking about cartoon characters, really. But <laughs> but, you know, you see that. And I mean, you know, that's like it's like our folklore or something. I mean, so having yeah. seen all that, there's just there's just certain spots that will just hit you a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, whenever you've seen and whenever you've been through all those those other. And so it is a slog, man. The Clone Wars, it's just like, oh my God, we have how many more episodes in this in this season? I mean, some of them do. You're like, why are we why why did this have to happen? But yeah, it's it's just it's so good. The the Filoni, Dave Filoni's just really like Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's sick. he's found a way to recapture the magic, you know. Um there's something yep. magical in season two of The Mandalorian when you see Ahsoka as a live action character for the first oh. time and the sabers light up wow. in, the, in the, in the darkness for the first time. And, and, and I mean, he's really found a way to bring back that magic. You know, when we saw star Wars as kids, and then when we, we went back and saw empire, 
Um, that's what we're that's what we're seeing again we're seeing that magic of you know um empire starts and all of a sudden these characters we've waited for so long they're back and filoni and favreau they they have that you can just feel it in the productions like tj said some are better than others but you know that those magical moments have have really come back in a lot of these series and uh you know i'll be honest i'm not a big disney fan and if it wasn't for these shows i i wouldn't even have disney plus you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be something that i'd choose to to pay for but but you know you see these shows and it's just um like i said you recapturing that that these little magic moments seeing seeing captain rex was a magical moment you know seeing seeing anakin change from very kind and very concerned for ahsoka to evil and adversarial and going back and forth that's just it's magic and it's uh they're they're just doing a fantastic job yeah Yeah, i'm i've been totally enjoying the show i i uh i will say though going back to clone wars the best way for someone like myself to get through clone wars was i would put it on the tv while i would start a kit or i'd work on something that was just building and i'd sit at my kitchen table and watch kind of half watch as I'm working on a kit because seven seasons of a cartoon, especially when some of the episodes are pointless and have Jar Jar in them and stuff. um, It's hard, but, uh, but I mean, if you can (laughs) slog through it, you get to the last season was especially the last four episodes of the last season are absolutely some of the best star Wars you're going to find. I I read an article. um, It might've been earlier. It might've been this morning. It might've been last night. I can't remember. Um, And, it the gist of the article was pretty much like Dave Filoni has made Star Wars a fantasy again, yeah. and and I think I think that's important to remember because I think I think a lot of times people forget like Star Wars is not hard sci-fi and it never has been right like oh. it it is science fantasy that's what, I mean Jedi or space wizards you know the the knights are 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 knights you know that's why they wear armor in like the clone wars like why would a jedi wear armor they don't need armor like they just deflect blaster bolts like right like you can't shoot a jedi with a blaster but they wear armor right and it's not like they don't really fight other people with lightsabers and if they did the lightsabers would just cut through that armor so like you know what i mean like they're knights that's that's what they they're knights slash wizards like that's they're called jedi knights for god's sake but you know i mean like like it is it is science fantasy and and i appreciate that dave filoni has done that he's made it more fantastical which is what it appeals to me because i'm a fantasy nerd and a science fiction nerd and it's like the combination of those two things i love and and you know i just i think it was this last episode and sorry scott i mean it's just it's the beginning so it's not really a spoiler but but hearing david Tennant, you know and I told my wife, I was so excited. Like, my wife doesn't give a shit. Like, right? Like, she doesn't really care about Star Wars. But I was like, sweetie, something happened in Ahsoka last night. That's never happened since 1977. And she's like, what is it? I'm like, they said the thing. She's like, what does that mean? And I like, I played her the scene. I'm like, David Tennant is this droid said a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away. She's like, no one's ever said that. I'm like, no, that's never been said. It's the text before all the movies. And you, everyone knows that's you hear that they see that that's Star Wars. I'm like someone freaking said it. And yeah, it's corny, 
I don't care. It was <laughs> it was so awesome. Well. That was so cool. So that was so we, cool. Yeah, we have a Doctor Who Star Wars crossover. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. David Tennant because he also yep. voiced that droid in, I guess, the Clone Wars too. I yeah, think Clone Wars. I think he might have even been in Rebels. I, I, that I, don't, I can't remember, but yeah, Hu Yang. That's yeah, that's yeah, David yeah. Tennant, and he's great. I, I mean, I like David Tennant anyways. Even I'm yeah. not a Doctor Who fan, but I like other stuff that David Tennant's done. He's he's got a great voice, and he sounds awesome as as Hu Yang. Yeah, was, Just, I don't know. The, I think it was the one scene when when Hera and her kid were on that little planet when because he's clearly got like Jedi abilities. <laughs> <laughs> when, when he was like oh you know how to build star- uh, lightsabers yes can you teach me how to do that no, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why not that'd be cool yeah oh and I mean, then also that like oh <laughs> we're like who yeah you you knew ahsoka's master yeah yes what was he like he was intense i'm like <laughs> that's one way of explaining anakin skywalker yes he he could be intense. That's true. When he's you know murdering younglings in the yeah. Jedi Temple. Yeah, I mean when she sat and when she was sitting in there and they're going through hyperspace and she was sitting there and the way she just leaned back and she's like, "Tell me a story." And he goes into it. I'm just like, it's like every goosebump on my arm went like, Poof. yes, yeah. And he said that, and I was just like, you know, and, and you're like thinking, okay, well, is he telling this all these stories? Is this was yeah. he around for everything? Is he been there this entire time? And you know, he knows all the stories, and it's just, yeah, you know, it, it, even hyperspace was changed from five, from five to six, episode five to six. You know, and you look at the hyperspace in five, and they're traveling through it. Well, then you go to six, and you're like, what the? And it's crazy. Well, that uh, I'm, I don't know if they'll ever explain it, but I'm yeah. convinced it's because the Purgles do it different. Yep. yep. Right. Like it's like. Because they do it biologically, not with yep. machines. So maybe that's why. Because yeah, it, in yeah. in all the videos brought that up. Like, yeah, that did not look like hyperspace from literally anything else. No, right. No. Star Wars hyperspace is always a tube with swirling white lights around it, and there was yeah. like all this like rainbows and all this all stuff colors. Going on. It was awesome. Everything, yeah, it was going through the the pergos and everything. It was going through everything. It, it was just it was crazy. It was good. It was really good. Man, I love Star Wars. God damn yeah. it. Yeah. 